Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, the show where we uh, give you the tools, the ideas, the information you need to go make a great life. You know, we don't just do these piddly little two-minute interviews. Oh, no. We take you in-depth on the topics you need to create a healthier life, stronger relationships, and be able to uh, lead the people you're with. Ah, it's a very basic plan we've got you today. Terry and James are with me, babysitting. James is on the board. Terry's... Standing ang- here. Angrily standing there. Aggressively. Aggressively. Are you angry today? No. You're just standing there. Just aggressive. Uh, I, so, Chipotle... Okay. Hillary Clinton. Yes, she she's on her road trip, driving from driving, New York not driving, to, oh, being driven. She's riding in the back of Scooby, her her we bus. Know. Why don't they call the bus the Mystery Machine? They should, because that's the, I, I I actually know somebody who has the actual Mystery Machine. You call it Scooby. Why don't you just call it the Mystery Machine? If you're going to name it after that cartoon, because just, you don't want to say Mystery and Hillary, wow. because that's feminine. You know what was that? I mean, what was that? What were that group saying? That's 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 uh, what is it? It's sexist. Okay. Any any negative, you know. Oh right, right, right. There's certain branding. words that you can't use now, yeah, or else these people, sexist. these people on Twitter are going to attack you. Yeah, they called it like calculated sexism or something. I, yeah. I would like to know how many times Hillary Clinton, how many punches she has on her Chipotle card. Because if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say zero. Maybe one since she went there yesterday. See, this is the deal. I'm totally fine with Hillary wanting to be the everyday champion of the everyday person. The reality is, though, she's not. She doesn't drive. She has to have secret service. She's the most popular woman on earth, they say, by name recognition. I mean, I thought Oprah was. Yeah, well. But whatever. Then Oprah did her TV network and that went away. And then she shows up at Chipotle on a video with her security camera. On. It was a security like, camera. Yeah, it was a yeah. security camera. So yeah. it's all grainy. Yeah, and grainy. From behind in, the yeah. counter. Yeah. She's got her sunglasses on. She's just, I guess, on her BlackBerry. I don't know. I just don't buy it. So don't try to sell it to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind that you're doing this, but yeah. be my champion all you want. But don't try to make me believe you eat at Chipotle every day. You don't even have a car. Well, it's not every day. It's just when she's in the Scooby bus. That's it. I mean, what do you what do you eat when you're driving down the road? Do you stop at a four star restaurant? Well, or? no, she eats snacks. We're finding about her Scooby snacks. <laughs> <laughs> she's in the Scooby van, and she has Scooby snacks. Just fruit snacks. And we're trying to. I mean, honestly, you're trying to sell me on my future potential president because she drives around in a van. She stops at Chipotle and she eats snacks. Come on. The woman. I mean, come on. So you're not buying the political theater here. I'm not buying it. And honestly, if they think it's going to work, I mean, Iowa is smarter than that. Just let her be who she is and just let her go be the champion. What do I know? It just, 
I'm just tired of being thought of as an idiot. Another issue, Marco Rubio, he announced yesterday, and he talked about how he's a a leader of now, whereas somebody else recently announced who's a leader of yesterday. Well, he says he's the leader of tomorrow. She's the leader of yesterday. Yeah. I'm just looking for the leader today. Right. I don't need yesterday or tomorrow. I just need today. Is Hillary's age going to be an issue? That's interesting. Yeah. No. I don't know. Is it? Because she's in her 60s. Well, then you go back 70s. to that. Then you go back to that famous Ronald Reagan quote about his age where he's like, no, I won't hold your youth and inexperience against you. Right. That he said that in a debate to Mondale, I think it was. And then likewise, will Rubio's youth and relative kind of inexperience, yeah. will that be held against him? See, you're right. That's why, we, that's why you know, this. The, here we go. Game on. And then you get someone like Jeb Bush who has a lot of experience, but he's been out of circulation for, what, almost uh, 10 years? But you never years? bring up a lady's age. That's yeah. Socially, it's wrong. But does that change when it turns to politics? Can you all this as age on the table all of a sudden? I don't think it's going to stop Rush Limbaugh. No, He'll or anybody else. But again, I don't think age should be a deal here. This is we live in the day and age when you can, you could eat. I mean, half half the senators are eighty. Right. <laughs> That's actually not true, but it just seems I mean, a lot of them are living to be very very old. So that's it's a weird game, but. The idea that they're going to rebrand any of them, you know, as Rubio as having more experience than a junior senator. We've already had a junior senator. We've already seen what happens with that. I mean, it's – what do you do? Yeah. It's fun. Politics is fun because there's there's a, a level of it, a level to it that's sort of – Feels dishonest, yeah. but they're just trying to tell a story that may not be the 100% representation of that person, but this is the public persona. Right. Run with it. I think what's going to happen by the time the whole thing's over, because Hillary's already got name recognition and she's going to be able to raise a ton of money because she's starting this early. I think by the time she's done, she'll we will all be believing she's a 35-year-old supermodel that loves <laughs> – Though all, all these articles Scooby-Doo. online, you won't believe how old she is. <laughs> Holy cow. She eats a Chipotle every day. I've seen the security camera footage. <laughs> she snuck in. I mean, honestly. Yeah, the, the story that her she's in that restaurant and nobody knows who she is. No one notices yeah. her. And I didn't even know that that was the future president or the wife of the ex-president or the, the first lady of Arkansas or – uh, the secretary, past secretary of state, or the senator from New York. Yeah. I didn't notice any of that. If she walked in, would you know who she was? Yeah, just instantly. Well, I'd notice because a, a minivan, a van well, would yeah. pull up, and twelve <laughs> people would get out. Let's be real; she doesn't. She has to have Secret Service. I know she does. In fact, she does. She's the wife of. She's the ex first lady. She has Secret Service. So I am going to notice guys in black suits with earpieces. Standing at attention at the door, I will notice. Who wouldn't notice that? And then her aide or two in line with her. I mean, you don't just feed. They don't pull up and Hillary hops out and runs into Chipotle. <laughs> what do you guys want? I'll buy whatever you want. At I'll Chipotle. get the. I'll get yeah. So she comes running out with bags, and got she's it, not it. driving around with one person in the car with no. her. She's got a staff. She's got people saying, "Oh no, no, Hillary, don't say that. No, 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 Hillary, you know, do this, do that." If it were me, they'd be like, suck your gut in. Stand up straight. Do this. Comb your hair. What do are you this? doing? Comb your hair. <laughs> you got something on your teeth. So they're doing that. So, yeah, I, I think I'd notice it. I think they maybe didn't notice it because they're making burritos. You know. Could it's, be. It's a burrito line. 
So I could see that. I mean, I don't notice what's going on in here half the time. I didn't notice James, you know, yeah, came just, in wearing a tutu. He's just there, tutu. It's just another day. What's the tutu about, James? Just thought it was extra stylish, so. Getting ready for the wedding. Yep. <laughs> Trying on some new stuff. Ballet lessons. For the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, you still getting married? Yeah, sure am. Anything I need to know? Just 18 days away. Any updates? Um, Still rocking it. I guess the update is it is rocking even more. Uh, tuxedo day that I need to go be fitted? Still, uh, they haven't gotten back to me yet. Okay. Those, it's so stupid because I've been uh, wanting to do this so bad. and make you so mad. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, let me know. Okay. Yeah, I will. The moment that I, I hear something, I will let you know. Because I'm free most afternoons, late afternoons. Okay. So let me know. But anyway, I do need some lead time, you know. I got to get it on my calendar. Like I said, the the exact second that I find out, I'll let you know. If if you don't want to pay for a tux for me, I've got one from yeah, high school. One? Okay. The powder blue? Uh-huh. Oh, cool. With like yeah. the frills? Uh-huh. Okay. It's not the frills. It's the frills. With a Z. Z. I'll wear it. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, in fact, I was talking to Terry. Terry wants a tux too. I'm good. He said, "If I'll be fine, I don't need the tux." If I get a tux, he should get a tux. I'm I'm perfectly fine just taking care of my own wardrobe that day. It's almost as if you didn't even say that. I didn't at all. Don't believe him. So, yeah. (laughs) Do not ever trust a producer. That's what they say in the locker room. What? I guess we're done. Yeah, we are going to locker rooms, though. We are going to locker rooms. That's uh, that's how I got there. If you're an avid football fan. Listen up, folks. Or if you have kids playing football, or if you've ever watched football, concussions. You're hearing a lot about them in the NFL. Uh, Is it as big of a deal as people are making it out to be? Do we need to worry about concussions in pro sports and college sports? Is it worth losing your brain to play a professional sport? We're going to come back talking with Cliff Robbins who's the Educational and Research Program Manager uh, for an organization called the Sports Legacy Institute. They're trying to help advance the study and prevention of brain trauma through sports. This is the Matt Townsend Show, back with Cliff Robbins after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. There's the theme music from NFL Films. When you listen to that music, doesn't it? Don't, aren't you just waiting for that deep voice to be talking about fourth and seven on the goal line? Green Bay Packers about to score. Uh, it's a big deal. We've all fallen in love uh, with NFL, man. It's probably more popular today than ever before. But now there's a lot of stuff. You know, that's that's getting out there in the news about the impact behind these big hits. 
and the damage that they may be uh, wreaking on the on the brains of the athletes. Um, we have Cliff Robbins joining us from Sports Legacy Institute, which is an organization working to advance the study, treatment, and prevention of the effects of brain trauma in athletes and other at-risk groups. Cliff serves as the Educational and Research Program Manager, and he's with us today to, to teach us what he can about the, the real implications and, and impact of concussions. Cliff, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great to have you on. And I guess, I guess we just need to begin with, you know, fill us in. Is, are, these, are concussions as big of a deal as everybody seems to be making? I mean, are, are these athletes in that much danger? I would say absolutely yes, um, and the the biggest reason is that when you're dealing with um, an orthopedic injury like a knee or something, that can recover, and we can see that recover. But a brain is very different. Um, you know, brains are take a long time to recover. Um, they can be very seriously damaged, and the the biggest thing is you only get one. Um, yeah. And there's there's nothing there's no surgery or something that you can repair a broken brain. I mean, we've all seen the, you know, an accident victim. We've had a friend in our school or somebody that we know that's in a tragic accident, has a traumatic brain injury. We've all seen the impact of that. And, you know, it, it humbles us. It, it, it's very – we pay a lot of attention to it. But then we send our kids out, strap a helmet on them and tell them to go, you know, bang their heads together. Um, it, it, we just – I guess – have we just never thought it was as big of a deal as, as it is or – What's going well, we just, on? Uh, we just didn't know. Yeah. Um, for a long time, we didn't understand the the forces at play. Um, you know, a tackle in the collegiate game or in the NFL game, um, just a rudiment, you know, a routine tackle, has about as much force as a car hitting a brick wall at thirty miles an hour. Oh wow! Um, and that's that's not something that we knew uh, before. But now that we do, we really have to ask ourselves, what is worth it? Um, you know, is this worth a game? It's a fun game, and it's a game that we all love. Yeah. But is it worth putting our brains at this serious risk and engaging in car accidents day after day after day? And and meanwhile, they're having fun, and they're getting attention, and you know, for some, they're getting their school paid for it. And this isn't even just football, is it? These same head injuries can take place in soccer, and I mean, in baseball, getting hit in the head with a ball. I mean, this can happen in a lot of different sports. Absolutely, um, sports. You know, all sports have an inherent risk of injury. Um, you know, we, whenever you suit up to play, you assume a certain amount of risk, um, and each sport is different, um, and each sport has their concussion problems. So a game like soccer um, involves systemically impacting the ball with your head quite a bit, and a lot yeah. of research that we've been supporting and working with has shown that there's um, some serious damage. Just with a header, just with somebody bouncing that ball off their head. Yep, and it's you know it's not the same as uh, you know a quarterback taking a sack on third and long. Yeah, but repeatedly um, we're seeing that it does cause uh, observable damage. And what what are you seeing in these athletes? Like, uh, what's the? I guess there's the extreme athlete that you know that that kind of makes the news. Jovan Belcher, the NFL football player mm-hmm. from the line, uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs, who ended up killing his girlfriend and then himself. I mean, they, they believe that he had proteins in his brain, part of a chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Encephalopathy, is that CTE for sure. Yep. Yeah, CTE is <laughs> so much better. Junior Seau is another example. So, I mean, mm-hmm. are, what are the other just kind of more day-to-day out- outcomes that you're seeing? 
Absolutely. So when you're dealing with the outcomes of concussion, um, it's helpful to think about it in the acute sense, so immediately after the impact, and then the chronic sense, the things that will show up later. So on the acute side, you know, we know um, very clearly that concussions have symptoms. So things like um, classically the loss of consciousness, um, that someone can lose consciousness, that only occurs in about 10% of concussions, but it's kind of the thing that we all think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other symptoms such as headache, dizziness, fatigue, uh, vision problems, and those usually resolve within a couple weeks. Um, when we move to the more chronic side, though, the more uh, difficult consequences, um, in some cases there's something called post-concussive syndrome, which is what happens when these concussion symptoms don't resolve for weeks, months, or even years. And especially in kids and, um, and adults, post-concussive syndrome can really derail someone's life. Um, we've been working with athletes, um, high school athletes and college athletes who have had to take uh, a year off of school because just the act of studying or engaging in um, you know, their schoolwork brings these symptoms back as if they had just gotten hit. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it can be, uh, it can be a real problem, um, and we don't know why some people get it and why others don't. And then ultimately the most insidious and the most difficult consequence um, is what you had mentioned, chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. Um, which we don't know why some people get it. We know that it is associated with a history of repetitive brain trauma. Um, you know, people get their heads knocked around through sports and can get it. Um, victims of domestic violence have gotten it after uh, you know, years of abuse, um, but not everyone gets it. Hmm. So what we're faced with is trying to understand what's the acceptable risk. And that, and that ends up being... Uh, what they become more violent. They become what? What are what is the outcome of CTE? Well, what can happen is after a history of repetitive brain trauma, this protein that you're mentioning, it's called tau. Um, it starts to build up in the brain, and we don't know the exact mechanism, but what we know is that there's a very specific pattern that it starts to build up, and years and even decades after the brain trauma is finished, so years after retirement you start to see some subtle changes in someone's behavior. Um, It starts off with some mood changes. So people become more volatile, um, depression, aggression issues, they become more impulsive. Um, And then finally, as those get worse, it can lead into some cognitive problems. So things like memory deficits, um, which are very easy to confuse with the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. The problem with this is that it's a very slow progression, and there's not one impact that you can trace it back to. So it's just kind of hit by hit by hit, and then mm-hmm. and, and you don't know because you, it's not like we're going to go check the protein levels in your brain, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, right now, the only way to look at those proteins is by taking a brain donation after someone has passed away and mm-hmm. looking, um, staining the tissue to see um, you know, whether it's there or not. And that's, that's not terribly helpful yeah. when someone is suffering during life. Yeah. Well, and, and do, do you get a sense that the NFL, the NCAA, I mean, are we taking it as serious now? I mean, are, are they getting the idea that this is real? We are worlds ahead of where we used to be, um, but we still have a long way to go. Because it really, you, it, look at, it, you can't deny, I mean, when Brett Favre can't remember, you know, a summer of his daughter's soccer league, that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's a big deal. It's very jarring. Yeah. Um, when we look at what the NFL has done, they've, um, in the last few years, they've done quite a bit to try and address this issue. Um, we all are familiar with the rule changes surrounding defenseless receivers, hits to the head. 
Um, and those do a good job of addressing that very highly visible brain trauma, um, which unfortunately only represents a small portion right. of the brain trauma that occurs on a football field. Um, in addition, you've, you know, we've seen their independent neurologists on the sideline, and just recently this season, they're going to be instituting the Julian Edelman rule um, after that horrible play in the Super Bowl, yeah. where there's going to be the independent observer. And those are great things to help reduce the... Um, reduce the incidence of those large concussions on the field, and also to catch them once, they, um, you know, once a player sustains a concussion, increase the chance that we remove that player from, uh, from play. Because immediately after they've been hit, that's when they're at the highest risk of being injured again. So it's mm-hmm. really, really critical that we take them off the field as soon as we know. Is there, now, is it, are the technologies changing? Of the helmet, is that changing? I, mean, I remember when um, Steve Young had a head injury, do you remember, before he retired with the 49ers, mm-hmm. and they kept putting a padding on top of his helmet. Do you remember that? And the that, helmets are a wonderful tool, yeah. um, but they don't do a thing for concussion. I mean, helmets it's, it's designed, your brain sloshing around in your skull, exactly. right? Helmets were designed to prevent skull fractures, and they do a great job at that. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had a skull fracture on a football field, football field in years, and that's a good thing. Yeah. But unfortunately, the technology is not designed to prevent a concussion. Um, and when a player suits up and puts on a helmet, you get this halo effect where they feel like they're invincible. Um, and you can start to see things like leading with the head and using the helmet as a weapon. Um, and if you've ever watched a rugby game, you know they don't tackle like that in rugby right. because they need to protect their heads. It's true, huh? I mean, I guess that's it is all of a sudden you feel invincible, yet uh, you've got you to gotta still protect the brain, not just the head. Hmm. Exactly. Wow. We're talking with Cliff Robbins. Again, Cliff serves as the educational and research program manager for uh, the Sports Legacy Institute, which is an organization working to advance the study, treatment, and prevention of the effects of brain trauma in athletes and other at-risk groups. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Cliff about what you could be doing as a parent to make sure your children are safe when they're out there playing sports. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Again, you're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. There you have it, NFL Films theme song, Classic Battles, the name of that song. <laughs> Tell me that music does not just get your blood a-flowing. The Classic Battle. Mm. You know what? Football, you got to love it, man. It's such a great sport, and yet it's uh, it's taking its toll on a lot of the players uh, you'll all remember the story we heard recently. Chris Borland was a promising second-year linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers. He retired because he feared for his health going forward. A linebacker, by the way, right in that hole. They've got to defend the hole of these running backs coming at him, head-to-head combat. And uh, Chris Borland did not want to risk his life and his brain and his health for, you know, football. So uh, it, it started this whole movement of, hey, let's let's recognize that this is a big deal. There's always been research going on about brain trauma. And on the phone with us is Cliff Robbins. 
Cliff is a um, – he works with Sports Legacy Institute. If you go to their website, sportslegacy.org, it's a great website for education and understanding about uh, – you know um, about concussions and about the safety in and, and education and research around this topic that we're discussing. Cliff Robbins um, also did some research. He was a research assistant for the Memory Lab at Harvard University, working on neuroimaging studies studies of the human memory. He's an avid football fan, and he joined the Boston University CTE Research Center in 2012, hoping to help solve the concussion crisis by coordinating several SLI-supported research studies um, in, from the, the Brain Bank. Cliff, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. You know, you talk about Chris Borland. That's a great story. Um, and when we think about what parents can do to help out, help their kids and make the decision, you know, I like to think about Chris Borland mm. because what he did is it's a classic example of just uh, a man making an informed decision and evaluating the risk and deciding that it wasn't worth it for him. And like any any contract or any employment or any decision that we make, it's important that we make an informed one, that we weigh the pros, weigh the cons. And just like for Chris Borland, it wasn't worth it. Um, you know, there are a lot of other people who are going to understand that risk and accept it. Yeah. So being informed and being educated is really critical. And it's a big deal, isn't it? You walk away, you finally made it on the 49ers, your dream comes true, and now you're realizing, yeah, this isn't worth it. This is crazy. Hang it up. It's an incredible decision he made. It really is. And um, again, some athletes, you know, they're totally fine doing this. Others know there's going to be a price to pay. They feel it's they're willing to make the risk. Some just want to be mad at the NFL as well. And I mean, the reality is, it's still it's still your brain, right? In the end, it, if you're playing little league and your your child's having a lot of head injuries and head trauma, this is a decision you may need to even make before you get to college, before you get to pros. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When we consider the, you know, we only get one brain. Um, and it really is the moneymaker. It's going to be the determining factor in how well we're able to function for the rest of our lives. Um, so when we're making that decision as to whether my kid should play football or whether my teenager should play football or play any sport, um, it's really important as a parent that we understand what the risk is, what the stakes are, um, and that we have an open and informed dis- uh, discussion about it. And you can't get the equipment, like I guess you are talking Cliff, I mean, we can't necessarily make a helmet safer. We can make it safer, but you're not going to make it concussion-proof. So, no, what... there's, there's no single piece of equipment that could make it concussion-proof. But one thing that parents can do from the technology side is keep track. Uh, we're at a really exciting time right now where there are commercially available impact sensors that you can strap right onto the helmet, or some put in a skull cap, some in a chin guard. And what they can do is... They won't tell you how much brain trauma is too much, but what they can say is how much is normal. And they can teach us how many times our kid is getting hit in the head. Hmm. And by having that information handy, we can make the decision as to whether it's worth it. Um, We've been working with several of the companies um, on hitcount.org. You can find um, companies that have been tested to be accurate, because in any marketplace you have some sensors that are better than others. So one of the ways that we've been helping this field is by providing a standardized test to make sure that these sensors are measuring what they are, what they say they're measuring. And several sensors have been found to be accurate. Um, and they can really help us understand the degree of trauma that our children are sustaining. So really, it's just, oh, yeah, my son's had four 3G 
hits or whatever. It, it'll tell you the well, G force it, it hits. Gs, yeah. If it was three Gs, we'd be fine. But we're looking more like eighty or ninety Gs oh, on man. the uh, at the top end of the spectrum. And a little kid. Not a little kid. And it adds these. up. I mean, I guess it that's the key, up. huh? You just need to. I mean, really, if you can count and keep track, that's your best shot of at least knowing what's going on. Is there is because there a if you point? Don't know what's going on? There's no way you could make an informed decision. But if you have more information, you can become uh, you can make a better one. Is there? I mean, how many? At what point? I mean, I'm sure one concussion is all the danger you need. At what point do you need to really start worrying? It's a very personal thing because every concussion is different. For some people, one concussion will be too many, and they'll be dealing with issues for a long time. But the vast majority of concussions will heal. Um, some people with proper rest and recovery can sustain multiple concussions and be okay. Um, you know, these brains, these brains are very complicated, um, and injuring them is very personal. So we need to understand, um, you know, you need to take it on a case-by-case basis. It's a decision that should be made between the parents, between the child, and also with a medical professional um, to understand if someone is especially prone, um, you don't want to be continuing to put them at risk. Do um, I guess headaches are, are a big sign of that. So if your child's playing a lot of sports, if they've had a head injury and they're having headaches, I guess that's an indicator as well. Absolutely. And the thing is, what we tell parents is that you know your kids best. So if your kid is, or if your child is acting funny after a head impact, ask them how they're feeling. Make it okay to talk about their symptoms and how they're feeling. One of the great things about sports is that it teaches kids this idea of toughness and that sometimes you need to play through things. But what's really dangerous is there's no such thing as a tough brain. Hmm. So when we're dealing with a brain injury, we have to make sure that kids feel comfortable talking about their symptoms. Our research has shown us that the biggest predictor of whether or not a kid reports a concussion is what is how the kid thinks the parents or the coach will react. So we need to make sure that we're setting up a safe environment for them to talk about their headaches, for them to talk about them feeling sluggish, because if they think that we're going to tell them to brush it off, they're going to hide it, and then we're not going to be able to understand the extent of the problem. Uh, we're talking with Cliff Robbins from Sports Legacy Institute. And Cliff, one of the things I noticed on your website at sportslegacy.org is you also train coaches. It's important that the coaches also learn to recognize the signs and that they, they're not applying the pressure that maybe keeps a child playing because they don't dare stop. Absolutely. Um, coach education, they're the people that set up the practices. They are the, you know, we give them um, you know, guardship of our children when we send them off to practice. So we need to make sure that they know what the issue is as well. Um, the CDC has some great educational programming um, through their Heads Up program. We also offer um, in-depth coach education through our advanced concussion training program, which you can learn more about on our website at sportslegacy.org. But we advocate that coaches be trained. um, Teachers also need to be trained. Concussion recovery is a team sport, um, and it takes a lot of people interacting with an injured athlete to bring them back to 100%. And we need to make sure that every link in that chain is educated. And some of this could even just happen on the playground, right? I mean, just on a on some tricky bars or doing some... Absolutely. The brain doesn't care what hits it. Right. Um, what, we don't ha- what we don't have on the playground is um, systemic tackling and yeah. systemic head injury. But there's always the random event. You know, you could get hit by a meteorite. You, <laughs> we, need to be, we need to be ready for it. And the brain doesn't care what is hitting it. 
and and technique. Um, are, are there? I'm sure there are better techniques to tackle to do. I mean, or or are we just playing with fire? Well, um, the data's out. There's a lot of research going on right now to see if tackling technique makes a difference. Um, and uh, there's a group at the University of New Hampshire right now where half of their defense is practicing without helmets, and they're learning to tackle without helmets. Hmm. And as they continue on, they're going to see if that kind of tackling technique where they take the head out completely has an effect on um, their impacts, uh, you know, the impacts that they sustain throughout a season of football. And you've already but, seen with rugby, though, that has made a difference. Yeah, it, they, they don't tackle with their heads. Um, yeah. In rugby, um, it's unclear how it's going to relate in football um, when they do finally put that helmet on. If they can change those old habits, but we're we're very excited to see the outcome of that research. So, so as parents, what would you say the number one thing we should be doing and worried about if if our child is actively involved in sports? What should we? Where should we go? What should we be looking for? We should be looking to see signs of a concussion. So if they've sustained a head impact and they're acting funny, we should make sure that we pull them out. And we should also be making sure that the program that we are um, enlisting our children in takes concussion, um, concussions seriously. Um, there are a lot of programs, unfortunately, that are a little slow on the uptake, and we need to make sure, have a conversation with the coach, make sure that he understands how serious concussions are, make sure that he understands that you take them seriously, and it's important that he be educated and that he set up a safe environment for our children. Hmm. It really is such great advice. Cliff, we appreciate the work you're doing and suggest uh, strongly. Go check out the website, sportslegacy.org. Everything you need to know about uh, concussions, training, education, research that's going on, as well as where you can get your coaches some skills as well as parents um, the medical profession, it's for everybody. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. And, uh, folks, we can't take this, uh, you know, we can't take this lightly. These are our kids. I've had a son playing football and got his bell rung. And it is the scariest thing ever to see your son out there, you know, you know, calling you Daisy. <laughs> hey, Daisy. <laughs> it's a weird moment. Uh, Anyway, we're going to take a break and come back and continue this discussion as well as some other news and headlines coming up. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm telling you, head injuries, you can't mess with. I have a really smart brother-in-law. It's a medical doctor. He had so many head injuries skiing that they finally told him, you know, dude, you get one or more of these, you're, it's not good. And then he got all serious, but he still skis. The The thing about it is, um, whether it's sports, I mean, skiing, you know, we've heard uh, Sonny Bono died of a head injury, right? So we, we know the head injuries, they'll kill you. We know that. But the constant hitting and just football, you're, it's designed to, you're designed to hit. And you see these guys leading with their head, you're thinking, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, and they don't teach that. No, they don't. The way it's taught, you put your head to the side, 
they they always taught me. Yeah. Just uh, put your head through the football. Right. So the guy's carrying the football yeah. on the side. You put your when you Cause do that, you you put you, you're in position. The guy hits you on basically on your shoulder. You wrap up and you put him in the ground. Yeah. But guys are coming in straight in with their head right in the numbers, and that's not where you're supposed See, to. But do that's them. that's when you get to the college game and it's speeding up, and you want to be seen, and you want to put on the hit, and that's what. And then these little kids go try that too. I mean, that's yeah. the reality is kids. My kid wears more gear to look like a college or a pro player. Oh, yeah. So who knows if he's safe, but he's got all the gear on. He's crazy. You played football. Yeah. Look how look how you turned out. Yeah, I I think I had a couple concussions. Oh, yeah. You there, were, there, were, there were a few times where you're walking around like, whoa, this is weird. Okay, let's go play again. You well, know? James was just talking about how you still slur your speech. Occasionally. <laughs> Occasionally, it just kind of slurs through the end, but that may just be because I don't know the word. And I'm it just might also just be early. That too. Maybe it's early. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little rough. <laughs> any uh, any other news going on other than the old head trauma? Are you, are you satisfied with the customer service when you fly? When you no. get on an airline? Yeah, no. Fly. It's La- changed a lot. Last year, apparently, the uh, the airline industry had a record profits and all this stuff, but Apparently, they, they do this study every year, and their level of service has dropped. <laughs> so they're doing worse, according to a report out Monday. Flights leaving on time dropped to 76% in 2014 from 78% before. Lost, stolen, or delayed baggage rose 13%. Mm. Passengers getting bumped from oversold flights rose 3%, and complaints to the U.S. government shot up 22%. Wow. Now, if you remember, there was a lot of delays because of weather yeah. Related issues, several, you know, just complete catastrophes, I guess, when it comes to, to scheduling and all that. And so, yeah. yeah, people get mad and they complain, but still up 22% for the year. Regional airlines performed the worst, but the big four, United, American, Delta, and Southwest, weren't too far behind. Really? In how bad they were. Huh. A story out today, not really reflective of this, but airline story. Shortly after takeoff from Seattle, an Alaska Airlines flight was forced to make an emergency landing when a pilot heard banging from beneath the aircraft. <laughs> Turns out a ramp agent was trapped inside the cargo hold and had been screaming inside the the plane there. The cargo hold pressurized and temperature controlled. The plane was in the air for 14 minutes, according what? to Alaska Airlines. The ramp agent fell asleep. The ramp agent went into the airplane, took a nap. <laughs> Well, woke up and like, oh, we're in the air. But uh, is it pressurized down there? That's what it says. So he could have stayed there. It's pressurized and temperature controlled, so it would be okay, but he, you know. You just don't want to wake up in another state. <laughs> Wait a second. I have a job. Or I used oh, to. Oh, man. So, you know, customer service and then a ramp agent's asleep on the bottom of the airplane. James, did you hear that? Don't sleep on the job, dude. Okay. You could end up in another state. Just a little lesson for you. <laughs> Providing lessons, one lesson at a time. A hero boss is setting the minimum wage at his office yeah. at 70000 a year. Wow. Gravity Payments founder David Price surprised his 120 employees Monday after reading that money fluctuations are a big problem for those earning less than seventy grand. He decided to make that the minimum wage for all employees at his credit card payment processing company. Wow. To do so, Price cut his own salary from $1 million to 70000 He's the uh, CEO. He makes an average of 300. Well, CEOs make an average of 300 times 
an average company salary. That's uh, nationwide. So he goes from a million to 70,000 himself. And the mail, whoever's doing the mail room is now making 70 grand. Making 70 grand. The plan to cut, it'll, uh, and plans to cut into profits to make this happen. Wow. What a guy. Thrifty people at Gravity will see their salaries double as a result, or 30 people. So there's, there's people that, that walked in the door Monday making 40 grand, and now they now make 70 grand. And there, he, he bases it off of a study that found that uh, happiness and just like contentment and you, know, yeah. you lose all the stress type of thing happens around 70 grand. Yeah, no, that's it. Supposedly, you're above, ha- above 70 grand, it doesn't necessarily correlate to more happiness. Now it's interesting. Does, does I guess you'll have other people, executives making more than seventy, or does everyone in the company make seventy? The minimum wage. So the minimum is seventy. So, so he's going to make seventy. There's he, people he's making taking himself down to the minimum wage. Yeah, and then but he might have managers making a hundred. Yeah, that's cool. What a guy. That's great. Now that's, he'll he probably has other sources of revenue. Yeah, I'm sure for he's himself. That's how this makes sense. But in doing this, he's just you know set a precedent that no one else is going to follow. Yeah, that's that's hard to follow. That's expensive to follow. <laughs> totally. Everyone else is like, what an idiot. A uh, Gallup survey released on Monday showed that nearly 90% of American adults now have health insurance. Wow. Obamacare. Up, up from 80% two years ago. See that? By the way, uh, my in my old days, yeah, my costs, I had it, but my costs went up. So 90% have it. And I'm sure a lot of people's costs went up. Yes. And some went down, I'm sure. So it, they're being subsidized. There's good and bad there. Interesting, though. But that's actually – think of those numbers. That's a big deal. So hopefully people aren't – I mean, I wonder what that's doing to health care costs. Hmm. We'll find out. We need an expert on the show on that one. Healthcare? Yeah. I'll look her up. That'd be cool. Have you ever heard – we talked about this in the break, but free-range parenting. I've heard of free-range chicken. Yes. That's what I thought when I first read the headline last night. I'm like, free range chicken. So is it, this is where you let your kids – oh, I do now. This is where you let your kids go, you know, live life. Yes. You're, you're not with them at you're all moments. You're not a hovering parent. You're going to free free range it. <laughs> right? Yeah. You let them out like, you know, if they want to go peck in the yard, they can go yeah. peck in the yard. I just keep going back to chickens because yeah, that's what I this is. Sparking a national conversation about free range parenting earlier this year, Daniel and Alexander – Metzliv are again under scrutiny after their children were picked up by police for the second time in four months on Sunday. After a long car ride, the Melvis dropped off their six- and ten-year-old children off at a park almost a mile from their home, asking them to be home by 6 p.m. Police intercepted them about midway through their walk. When the kids were uh, still weren't home at 6.30, the parents became worried, but the Child Protective Services didn't call until 8 to say that their children were in custody. So I guess the question is, is it okay to let your 6- and 10-year-old drop them off a mile from home and say, we'll see you at 6? Yeah. That's how we were. I was raised. Me too. But I was dropped like a city away. <laughs> <laughs> see you at home. Good luck, pal. But that's that was the norm back in the day. I'd ride my bike to football practice, put my helmet on. I had blind spots. I didn't care because I was geared up. Yeah, yeah. And I would just ride my bike for miles. Yeah. It's the deal. Why Why can't our kids walk home a but mile? What happens is these kids, they're a mile away from home and start walking home. Other parents see unattended children and they well, think- How old are these kids? Six and 10. Wow. Six is a little young. But he's with a 10-year-old. Yeah. Sure. I have a park that's like a half mile from my house. 
Would you let your six and ten year old go? Probably. I think I think it's healthy. I really do. Isn't it interesting? Can you see the concern other parents have? Oh, sure. But again, is it is it unwarranted concern? Well, is it over? Is it too much for the parents to be that concerned about somebody else's kids? It's it's unwarranted because that's that's the parents' argument. They're like, leave my kids are fine. Worry about your kids. Well, then we then the cops pull up and we say, so where are you going, guys? We're walking home. Well, great. Let's all go home together. We'll we'll go with you. If it's a mile away, they'd get there. I mean, it's if it's succeeding, we had generations raised this way, right? Right. I babysat myself at 10, 11, 12 for for years. What is the deal? Is is the the is it a perceived threat to children? Yeah. Or is it a real threat that's changed from back, you know, back no, 20, 30 years today, ago until today? Hands down is safer for our children today than 20 years ago. Why are parents more afraid then? Because parents are more neurotic today, which is why it's actually safer. But your child is much less likely to be harmed today than 30 years ago. Are you kidding me? We've got more information. We've got more plans, more programs, more tools. We're just more neurotic. I mean, I get having a four-year-old walking home alone. That's weird. That's not safe. That's bad. Six-year-old walking home alone, that's bad. But with a 10-year-old, that was so commonplace. And it's not delinquent and it's not abusive if these kids aren't creating problems. I mean, if the parent feels it's safe enough, it's probably safe enough. I just don't know. When when would we feel safe? 12? 14. Okay, now at 14, you can walk a mile. Yeah. My kids won't even walk to church. (laughs) Our church is three (laughs) blocks away and they're like, ugh. It's just not safe out there. People, honey, you're in Draper, Utah. You're as safe as you're going to get on earth. <laughs> if I had you walk in Butte, Montana, you'd be eaten by a mountain lion. I don't know. I think parents need to – we need to teach our kids to be more free range. Jeez Louise. Isn't that funny? It's like no wonder they don't ever go to Chipotle. That's right. Because they're afraid to walk there. <laughs> ah, we're going to take a break, my friends. Giving you the tools, the ideas, everything you need to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back after this break. More fun, more ideas right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the tools to take back your life, the tools to make uh, your life what it needs to be to find the good. You know, everybody was born. uh, We all weren't born with a manual, though, right? And so here is a, a guidebook is what we try to make this show all the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the program. Top of the morning to you. We uh, we are going to be talking about later today um, what the media might be teaching our young men. A lot of the media, we might be when we're talking about our young women, we might be teaching them to be fairies and princesses, and that you know, if you work hard, you'll eventually get the man. 
that might be a lesson that's pretty common in some of the media that our children are watching. But what are we teaching the young men? Hmm. Coming up, Colin uh, Stokes will be talking to us about uh, about how movies teach manhood. We'll be getting into that a little bit later today. But uh, before we do, speaking of manhood, Terry. Thank you. <laughs> what was that? That was my little uh, funny laugh. Okay. Don't worry about it. Just keep moving. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. U.S. defense spending. Yeah. Dropped 6.5% last year. Really? But it's it was seven hundred and fifty billion dollars, wasn't it? Uh six hundred ten billion on defense in twenty fourteen, beating out China, Russia, and Saudi Arabia. Wow. But uh it was down six point five. A lot of people are mad about that. Yes. We should keep we sp- that spending up. The Pentagon spends more money on its military budget than any other country. Wow. The, according to Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, spending for the U.S. Defense Department remains at historically high levels, $610 billion, as we said, uh, but it dropped by 6.5% in 2014, while China spent spending rose 9.7%. Saudi Arabia also boosted its defense spending to all-time highs, increasing spending in the Defense Department by 17%. But don't we spend more money per for the United States, then like the other 10 countries closest to us combined or something? Yes. So if you take the top 10, yeah, you take the bottom eight, their combined total, we spend more money than they do. The top 10 and the bottom eight. No, no. You take the top 10 nation, uh, uh-huh. nation's budgets in the world. Okay. You take the bottom eight countries. You add all that together. We spend more money than they do. Wow. It's an immense amount of money then, that we spend Then all of them combined. Yes. So we, when we drop 6%, we are still 10 times larger than the next country yeah. in spending. See, that's, that's important to know because a lot of people be worried like, oh, we're dropping our defense spending, yeah. which means our defenses are dropping. No. Well, we're still – if anything, it's it's probably more efficient. Yeah, they're finding ways to. Okay, we can do this better. We don't need to, you know, have ninety five thousand tanks. We can do something smaller, mm-hmm. a smaller amount, and still be efficient. Now, the scary part about that is that there's jobs connected to every one of those yes. dollars. So you drop at six and a half percent, then defense spending goes down. Jobs in defense areas go down. Except then teachers might argue, oh great, now there's more money for teachers or except for that something never else. works that way. Isn't that weird. Never works that way. It's really odd. Hmm. So I found that interesting. That's, that's interesting. Spending levels have fallen nearly 20% since 2010. Hmm. So they keep trying to uh, find ways to cut, but I think they're trying to be more efficient with the money also so they can spend yeah. it elsewhere and take care of that. Blackwater. I hate Blackwater. They were a security agency. Oh, that's an agency. During, I, well, thought, I thought we were talking they, about just water. They changed their name after uh, situations like this where um, several of their guards – uh, killed uh, Iraqi, Iraqi civilians during some altercation. Um, but they, uh, a federal judge Monday sentenced three former guards from mm. private security contractor Blackwater to 30 years in prison, sentenced another guard to life behind bars for an 07 massacre of Iraqi citizens. Uh, they opened fire on, uh, they killed 14 people, injuring 17. Wow. This is, so, yeah, this is one of those private security companies that went into Iraq after and yeah. Afghanistan. I mean, they go all over. Interesting. So they've now been convicted. And then missteps like that and several others, Blackwater changed their name to something else. Yeah. Because it was like, whoa. When in doubt, <laughs> change it out. Volunteer sheriff deputy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
who shot and killed an unarmed man, has been charged with second-degree manslaughter. He was he, His name's Bob Bates. He thought he was pulling his taser, mm. and he pulled his gun and shot the guy. Now, don't they hold them on different sides? I'm I not thought, sh- I, I, thought, I believe. Yeah, you, but you, you, he, you're used to drawing one with your left and one with your right. On the, video, he, on the video, he's yelling, taser, taser, and mm. then he shoots oh, he his shot gun. Him. Oh, boy. So that's uh, unfortunate, and they're, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let me just tell you. There's going to be – it's going to be hard to find a cop today. Yeah. Because who wants to be a cop now? This morning, a video of Los Angeles police officers roughing up a drunk driver. Oh, I didn't see the drunk that was driver on, one. Yeah, that was new today. Well, and I saw like Every day there's another video. Well, so. the video of the California cops arresting the guy off the horse. Over the weekend, 10 officers suspended for that situation. <laughs> And one horse traumatized. That was bad. Yeah, they beat. They hit that guy seventy times. They can <sighs> And he was on the ground, hands behind his back. Yeah, they. He wasn't cuffed, but he was. He was done. That's what happened. It was a long. Loaded on. Was, you know, you have a three-hour chase. That's a lot of adrenaline pushing, and so hmm. it's tough to be a cop. Not, by the way, that was the old west. That was. <laughs> it's crazy. Horse chase and everything. Yeah. Conservatives in I- the Idaho legislature stopped a measure on Friday that would have brought the state into compliance with federal rules on child support payments and provide millions of dollars in federal spending. Really? Talk about that. What? State Senator Cheryl Nuxall testified that federal regulations on child support are tied to the, the uh, Hague Convention on International uh, Recovery of Child Support. Okay. Which she said would subject the state to Sharia law. Huh. So collecting, so tying child support payments is equivalent to Sharia law. The federal regulations based on this international convention where 80 countries have agreed that this is the way we're going to take care of child support from, you know, parents and everything. She says if they follow this, they'll be under Sharia law. Huh. Do they believe her? Um, no. Okay. But Just they checking. it was enough that they didn't pass the legislation. This is all from the Associated Press. Although none of the 80 countries involved in the treaty fall under Sharia law, the state attorney general's office said that Idaho judges could reject other nations' child support rulings they do not believe meet the state standards. So whatever these other countries do, Idaho's not under those regulations. So they're the only state not under the regulation? No, well, basically what the, the, the judges are saying is that just because we, we follow these guidelines, it doesn't mean that this is how we're going to run it. We're going to run it the way that the state the needs to run, run it. it. Right. They'll make their own rules, own regulations. But she tosses Sharia law out there and uh, many of the state standards, uh, several others, along with this uh, state senator, decided we're going to remain skeptical and not pass this right now. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Now uh, Idaho judges are throwing out Sharia law. No, they're saying they're not under Sharia law. Every, yeah, they're everyone, saying we're not going to play that way. Everyone, wait till I wait till the wait till everybody hears about that. Yeah. Now Idaho's a target. Idaho's a target. A new report from the Office of Inspector General indicates that the Social Security Administration has been awarding disability payments to Puerto Ricans in part because their native language is Spanish, despite the fact that Spanish is the primary language of Puerto Rico. So they're getting disability payments because they don't speak English. Wow. Even though their native language is not English. Right. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, how we survive? The, the Social Security Administration has a standard evaluation grid 
that it uses to determine if someone is capable of working, and the ability to speak, read, write, and understand English is considered an educational factor. Hmm. So on their documents, they go... But uh, even though their language is Spanish, they get points for speaking Spanish. Right. Points towards getting support. So they've been kicking out some disability payments to help out with... uh, Interesting. Bureaucracy, it's great. (laughs) Here's our mindset. We're not changing. Uh, No situation is going to help us to be, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it seems like we'd be losing money doing this. Yes, a lot of money, and that's kind of the point. Interesting. So maybe there needs to be a change there. I don't know. They'll see. Change is hard. Change is very, very hard. How would you like an aluminum... A battery for your phone that charges in one minute. Yes. Would that yes. would that change your life? Would yes. that help out? It would. They're testing one at Stanford. Are they really? It's not ready. It's not. It doesn't get quite the voltage necessary to run your phone. But they have an aluminum battery. They plug it in. It's charged in a minute. And That's it, run, great. it runs for like eighteen I, hours. You know what? I would take one for two minutes if it took three minutes to charge. Five minutes. Something. Just anything to shut my kids up. <laughs> I have a son that's like, he begged for a phone, begged for a phone, begged for a phone. We finally gave him a phone. He's like, it doesn't keep its charge. It drives me crazy. I'm like, dude, you're 12. Just so, enjoy your phone. Battery technology is advancing. At someday, we may have a phone that lasts more than 12 hours. Well, what's amazing about that is once you have a phone that lasts more than 12 hours on a five-minute charge, the cars are next, dude. Then everything will be running by battery. Oh, <laughs> Oh, the tangled web. Then we can bring down the entire country with just one major impulse through our electrical system. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, why are you talking about EMPs? <laughs> now everyone's terrified of an EMP. <laughs> Sorry. Every once in a while, I like to go into the maniacal, mean, horrible, evil man. Right there. That little dramatization brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, Colin Stokes is going to be joining us. He uh, is a TED Talk uh, speaker who spoke about how movies teach manhood. What What's the media teaching your son about being a man? We're going to get into that next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Indiana Jones theme song for you there. You know, uh, did you ever notice that a lot of movies have essentially the same storylines? There's always a bad guy, you know, statistically that tends to be a male protagonist. And he has to fight his way through obstacles. And uh, eventually, you know, the good guy will eventually fight his way through, get the bad guy, and then will usually be rewarded with a female. The, the, he'll win the heart of the damsel in distress. You know, but more recent movies have uh, had major, uh, you know, storylines around the female being the protagonist position. But these films are teaching us, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting what's happening in the movement of the films and the movie industry. Uh, joining us today is uh, 
is Colin Stokes. He is a speaker, and he has a wonderful talk on TEDx Talks. If you go look it up, it's about what the movies are teaching us about manhood. And uh, Colin is a he's a father. He's a performer, a former performer, a nonprofit marketer, a designer, and an art consumer. We uh, we appreciate his insight. He's here today to teach us about what uh, media might be teaching our young boys. Again, uh, Colin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. Good to have you on. Talk about Great your your TED Talk. Um, it it really is. It, it's a it's a wonderful uh, kind of discussion about what we need to learn and and and, and what the media might be teaching our young men. Um, but also even our daughters. Maybe just talk to us a little bit. First of all, how did you get into evaluating, you know, the movies and 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 what it's teaching uh, our youth today? Sure. Well, I am no media scholar. I'm a movie fan, <laughs> and uh, grew up as a um, a test subject of the big stories. I grew up in the Star Wars era. Watched it hundreds and hundreds of times over and over again in the VHS days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I feel like it. I was using it as a kind of um, rule book. What What am I supposed to do with my life? Uh, maybe I Maybe I'm destined to be a hero or a, a Jedi Knight or something like that. <laughs> uh, we We think all kinds of um, insane things when we're teenagers. And uh, finally, I grew up and and had children of my own and was showing them some of the movies that I loved and had uh, a totally different perspective on them. And, and that's what I had the chance to talk about a couple of years back on a TED stage in, in my hometown. What, what did you see? I was see? just thinking about all the, all the ways that movies had influenced me and wondering what effect they were going to have on my kids. It's so true, though. And, and as a father, I mean, I, I in Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all of those kind of iconic films, what, uh, what role do you see that these films are playing? What are they teaching our young men? I think we learn from all of the media that are around us. They're, they're just a part of the culture that we learn from. We learn from our parents. We learn from our friends. And, and when there's a, a movie like Raiders and Star Wars or the movies of today like, like Frozen or, or Furious 7 or whatever these kids today are taking in, <laughs> um, we, we can't help but absorb uh, something about what they're telling us. It might not be what the filmmakers intend, but in total, we start to pick up on a couple of things. Like one thing that I picked up on that I think uh, the movies are still telling us is that if you're a boy, you're really important. You are just the center of the story. In fact, you may even be the chosen one. There may be a prophecy about you <laughs> that says that you are destined for something uh, really, really special. And that, that may be despite the fact that you have no talent or, um, or, or particular uh, – bravery or interest and some movies like the lego movie which i loved came out last year was all about how the most totally uh unmemorable fellow had been uh roped into a prophecy maybe by mistake but that was sort of spoofing that yeah. whole premise and to me growing up i think as any teenager you're immediately pretty drawn to that idea you already feel that the world revolves around you or should so when you're watching a movie and you hear um uh, you know you watch Keanu Reeves, Destined to be the One, or you see young Anakin Skywalker as the Chosen One, you start to uh, feel like, wow, that's, that's a good way of thinking about myself. Maybe I am uh, going to go on a journey and the whole fate of the universe is at stake. And, it, and that's 
there's something essentially wrong with that. I mean, everybody <laughs> should feel as though they've got a purpose in life. When you see it over and over again, and when you see it happening only to certain types of characters, um, it starts to tell us something about our culture that might not be quite right. Do, do you see the same theme with women? Well, that's just it. There's uh, almost no movies in which women are shown to be the chosen one, uh, that they're the center of a prophecy. There's a bit of a trend right now, which is kind of fun to see, of, uh, of action movies like um, The Hunger Games or yeah. big blockbuster fantasies like Maleficent, where there are women at the center. Um, and uh, I think that would, that would balance it out a little bit more. But, of course, if you watch all of the movies that come out in a given year, uh, you're really going to see the same type of characteristics in your central hero. He's going to be a guy. He's going to be a white guy. He's going to be in really good physical shape. And, uh, and he's going to have a set of things happen to him that actually fit a pretty standard pattern. As you were saying, the, uh, a big part of that pattern, aside from like a, a prophecy or some sort of destiny, is that you've got a nemesis. You've got somebody that is out to destroy the universe, and it's your job not just to outwit that person or survive that person, but to literally go hand-to-hand with him and destroy him. Yeah, Or maybe gun-to-gun with him. Really? I guess that's one so thing we're teaching, like a, that they're at war, right? That the guys are at war with their nemesis. That's exactly right. There's uh, almost always in, in the big movies, there's, particularly in the fantasy world, there's some big war between good and evil. You, know, you get through your seven or eight Harry Potter movies, and what starts as a as a story of magic in school ends up being the you know two opposing armies of good wizards and bad wizards, and you may not have guns, but you've got little wands That's with right. laser coming out of them shooting at each other, and the story isn't over until the chosen one defeats the you know evil unspeakable ugly man, <laughs> also probably a dude. <laughs> it's always you, know, you can dude. tell he's bad because he yeah he's he's an evil ugly dude surrounded by some other evil ugly dudes and you're the good handsome dude <laughs> and you're surrounded by some you know maybe less handsome dudes but even if you're average you're handsome and even if you're average you're still chosen and in the end yep. the outcome will be you going to war and winning the battle and then you'll win the affection of somebody well hello there yeah that's exactly <laughs> right there might be a couple of characters who um, who are female along the way, and they might help you out here and there, but pretty much always by the by the crunch time, by the, that third act where you're supposed to go it alone, the woman finds some excuse to get out of the story. Maybe she's wounded or captured, or she sits by and watches, and uh, you can be sure she's going to show up again right at the end to look very very uh, pretty and stare <laughs> at you with great big eyes and say. You know, I am just so grateful to you that I am just here for you, and you can just imagine what happens next because we're not going to show you because the movie's over. So one of the things this is teaching us is that, I guess, women don't play a very dominant role except to just be supportive, and we have to go to war and we're chosen. I think, yeah, you pretty much summed it up. (laughs) You're you're really important. You're probably more important than anybody else because you're chosen uh, by other men who've chosen you. Um, you've got some nemesis you've got to kill, and you're going to be thanked once you kill him with a, uh, a skinny young woman who's going to worship you. And then, and then nothing, and then the screen will go black. So we have no information about how you're going to relate to the woman that you've just uh, inherited uh, or what's going to happen to the world that you've just sort of destroyed in computer-generated uh, chaos. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's 
you know, we, we've got nothing for you. Just just focus on fulfilling your destiny, killing your nemesis, uh, and, um, you know, there's going to be some people along the way who help you out. You can tell them because they might be people of color or they might be uh, sort of less attractive than you in well, some way. Yeah, they're kind of oddlings, too. They, they tend to be like a patchwork yeah, of maybe there's misfits. Some, some funny little creatures, right? So diversity is there to help you out. There, there's some nice <laughs> – To support diversity. you. It really, uh, Colin, yeah. it's fascinating the the approach you're taking. Let's take a break. I want to come back and then I want you to talk about in your because uh, your TED talk you got into the Wizard of Oz and how that's kind of a different type of heroic figure led by a female, uh, you know, but also more of a collaborative leader instead of just a warmonger. Uh, we'll take a break. Continue this discussion with Colin Stokes as we discuss the role models and uh, you know what movies teach us about manhood. Um, we're also going to get Colin's view on uh, maybe a healthier approach for what this uh, you know, good movie might look like. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, little Superman theme from John Williams. But just hearing that, does that not bring back your childhood? Huh? Do you remember watching those movies as a kid? Um, and all the movies you've seen, they've impacted you one way or another. Our guest today, Colin Stokes, is a uh, he's a TEDx speaker and had a wonderful talk about how movies teach us manhood. And uh, I highly recommend you go to TED.com and look that up. He is joining us on the phone today. He's a father, a former performer, a nonprofit marketer, a designer, and an art consumer. Um, And he's teaching us today some of the lessons that uh, we may have picked up. And maybe they're not always the best lessons, just simply by going to the movies. Colin, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. Isn't it fun to talk about movies? I just love it. It really is. What a great gig for you because you get to just sit there and do this every single day. Hey, talk about <laughs> um, the uh, – you loved and, and watched a show with uh, um, with your child, The Wizard of Oz. And maybe just That's contrast right. for us what you learn in The Wizard of Oz as opposed to what you you know learn in some of the other movies you were talking about with the male protagonist called from above – and then eventually gets the the you know the adoring girl at the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, The Wizard of Oz is probably the oldest movie that that most of us have seen. It's, it's more than seventy five years old at this point, and uh, people still show it to their kids. Uh, I was talking to some high school students uh, this week, and about two hundred people raised their hands, and two or three said, "No, I never saw it." <laughs> but generally, it's still part of our culture. We still know what the references are. So. I was watching again thinking it was just going to be another kid's movie, and I, I couldn't really believe how strange it is. It just doesn't follow any of the rules. It's like they made The Wizard of Oz, and then nobody copied it. Um, <laughs> That's right. They made, they made Star Wars back in the 70s, and, and everyone was ripping it off. But The Wizard of Oz kind of just still stands up by itself, and yet it's still popular. It sort of shows that you can make a movie that is, uh, that is full of a couple of really big differences, and it's still a big hit. The biggest difference... Uh, that comes to mind right away is is that there's uh, well there's a, a little girl at the center of it. This is a movie 
maybe like Frozen, that stars a you know a preteen. She's not anything uh, anything predestined. She's mm-hmm. just a, a girl kind she's of awkward. bored on a farm. Yeah, yeah. She, no, she's she's a lot of longings. She seems like a really um, soulful person. She's a wonderful actress playing her, so you you like her. Mm-hmm. But we're not uh, beaten over the head with how special she is. <laughs> and then you know, out of nowhere, she gets transported to another world. That's a pretty familiar trope. But here's the thing about this other world: everybody that's really a big shot in this world is also a woman. You've got an uh, amazing, powerful fairy queen. And then, of course, you've got the bad guy who's the scariest, you know, always makes lists of the scariest bad guys of all time, the Wicked Witch. Yeah. So you've got these two women kind of bossing everybody around. And then there's, there is supposed to be this great man off in the distance. Everybody's got to go find him, right? The Wizard the of Oz. They all... That's right. So Dorothy goes off to meet the wizard... Uh, and along the way, this amazing thing happens. She just keeps meeting people, this diverse group that I was talking about a minute ago. So in today's movies, you'd meet a scarecrow and a tin man and all of them, and they would, they'd pledge allegiance to the male hero and sort of help him out. Maybe one of them would sacrifice themselves for the hero, probably, if yeah. it was a black one. That's what would happen. So here we got a tin man and a scarecrow and a lion, and, and what, Dorothy actually um, gets them on her team by just doing this simple thing. She just helps them out. Just helps him out by the side of the road. She's like, "Hey, um, let me get you off this tree, or let me give you some, you know, oil for your rusty." Oh yeah, they all have a need, right? And, and she meets the need. They all have a little need, and yeah, she just helps him out. And they say, "Hey, you want to come along?" So basically, she is showing us that she is special because she's got a rather special ability to make friends. If if I could make friends half as well as Dorothy does in this <laughs> movie, I'd I'd have learned a lot of good lessons in as a teenager that I didn't necessarily learn from Star Wars. And, of course, they get to the wizard, and this is such a great plot twist that we don't really think of as a twist anymore, but wizard is a joke. Wizard is just this you know, guy pretending to be the wizard. He doesn't yeah. have any powers at all. And uh, it turns out Dorothy's the one that had all the powers. But it wasn't like there was a big prophecy about how Dorothy no. has the powers. So the lesson there is you, know, you, you don't have to be destined. You, you're going to be put in some adventures in your life that you don't even mean to be put on. They're just going to throw you around. Do your best to make a bunch of friends. Uh, try to be brave when there's scary things going on, like monkeys that are flying around. And uh, and and sometimes the authority figures aren't going to really pull through. Sometimes yeah. it's going to be your own, your own. Maybe not your bootstraps. Maybe it'll be your shiny uh, shoes that you have to click together. But you know, with the, with the help of of some friends that you'll have earned, not because of your destiny, but because you're a nice person, um, you're gonna you're gonna get through it. I just loved those messages. I was like, wow. That's such a good message. That would be great. Why don't we use that formula instead? Well, and imagine that we take these ideas to our marriage, right? So how, how do you see it would impact our marriage or me just being a father if I take the Star Wars model versus the, the uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz model? Right. Well, Wizard of Oz doesn't really treat romance at all. It doesn't try to tell you that, you know, you're... Dorothy's, Dorothy doesn't meet her, her life partner in the yeah. movie. So we don't have too much idea about what it would say about that. Um, but it does say that, um, that there are partnerships, that there are friendships, that the, the, the world of Oz is made better, not just because Dorothy saved it, but because a group of people worked together and sort of offered the things that they're good at. And uh, a lot of the movies today are about one, this one hero has become so important that you don't really get a message about how people work together. Uh, you know, Indiana Jones just goes, he saves the ark pretty much all by himself. There's, you know, a sidekick and a girl or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's not a big team. 
Um, and in, in Wizard of Oz, you do get the sense that you know, the whole community can come together. That, that transfers to things like marriage to me, because um, marriage is, uh, if, if you approach marriage the way that a, a, a Star Wars or a Indiana Jones would have you do it, it's about a, uh, one person earning the right to another person. Uh, and that, that's just a recipe for a, a, a not an equal partnership, I think. It, it tells you that there's one person here who, is, who, who has the dominant position, and, um, and there's not a lot of information about how to negotiate the life that, you're, that a marriage really represents. Wizard of Oz, I don't know if it's a primer for marriage, but it certainly is a, is a primer for how do you understand what other people need and yeah. how do you find a way to, to get along with each other, which is certainly more true of marriage and i love that it's and life it, in general yeah and the process of you know just a day at a time and a need at a time and and slow and steady kind of wins the race again we're talking with colin stokes who uh is a speaker and uh, had a wonderful speech about um th- about media and and the movies and how it impacts uh, our view our children's view of manhood talk about the bechdel test it, it was to me it's an interesting um, little lesson that you've kind of figured out about women in the movies. Oh, I, I had nothing to do with it except uh, that I love it, uh, like like millions of other people do. Uh, it goes back to the '80s when an amazing um, cartoonist recorded it as as a joke, basically. <laughs> um, and it's become a a, a, par- a party game to to help people really understand how weird the and and masculinized the the media landscape is um there's there's only three questions that that the bechdel test uh, test asks of a movie which is and, and they're all very simple it would just seems like it wouldn't be hard to pass this test the first one is just is there more than one female character in this movie at all <laughs> the second one is do those two women appear together in the movie talking to each other are they you know, the maybe enemies are they? One's yeah. at the beginning and one's at the end. Do they ever talk to each other? And then it's not enough just to talk to each other. Let's just make sure that they talk about each other, talk to each other about something other than a man. Because <laughs> uh, you know, a, a brown-haired girl and a blonde who are fighting over the hero, that, that they're not going to give that one credit. What we're looking for is just a couple of women in the world who talk <laughs> to each other, yeah, about whatever's going on, and. You know, I, I remember reading this test thinking, well, that's, that's easy. Like, uh, I can't walk down the street without observing this phenomenon happen all the time. I, I work with women, and they talk to each other about the, the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Surely this is a normal fact of life. You would have to, you'd have to be very, very deliberate to leave that phenomenon out of all of the stories that you wanted to tell. And yet that is actually the world that we live in. Absolutely. Our, um, our movies, are, um, especially our movies, um, the screenplay seemed to have been stripped of that. It's almost as if you said, hey, 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 cut that scene. Make sure that they're talking to, about a man or uh, make that character into another male. Um, it's a phenomenon that, that is backed up by some data. There's a great group called the Gina Davis Institute that does tons of research about movies. They literally have interns who, who watch the movies and they count how many uh, characters there are, uh, how often they speak how they're portrayed. They figured out that in crowd scenes of movies where, where they should just be an equal number of men and women, like yeah. in Spider-Man or something, they're all just watching Spider-Man fly around, only 17% of the characters in crowds are female. Really? Like, that's the way it's that just the, a crowd. <laughs> the makers of movies think. It's just a crowd. 
Yeah, put and some more women. The audience <laughs> sort of read that as 50-50. Isn't that interesting? Very strange. It is strange. And I, so, I grew um, up you know, with four women in my family, no dad at home. Um, and so it's inter- I, 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 I never noticed that. I just got sucked into all the stories. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think I think people are are talking about it thanks to the great work of Gina Davis and many others, um, and and Hollywood is working hard, not quite hard enough, maybe, but with movies like Frozen and and The Hunger Games and Maleficent that are such smash hits, uh, I think there are uh, executives in in Hollywood that are starting to say let's let's take a look at those scripts again and make sure there are enough women in them. Because audiences love it, audiences of of men and women, and I think that's what's really important. It's there's an old myth that men or boys won't see movies that have too many girls in them. Like like we think girls are gross, <laughs> and it's it's just a it's just a lie. Yeah, not true. Uh, and yeah, and and these movies are helping to demonstrate that that we all love movies. If you know, if we can love Wizard of Oz. We can love a movie about a girl or a woman or a team of people who, uh, like maybe Big Hero 6 that came out last year or The Incredibles. Um, movies about families or about teams of people that, that go out and uh, have amazing adventures that maybe don't involve computer-generated armies fighting each other, that maybe don't end with the the hero having to have a shootout. Um, and, and they will be just as beloved and just as enduring and popular and make plenty of money for the studios. But maybe we can stop telling generations upon generations of children, boys and girls, that only certain type of people get to be heroes and that heroism has to look a certain way. Yeah, and that diversity is designed to protect the hero and be used by the hero. I mean, there really are a lot of you know uh, nuances that, that I think you're holding out here. Um, as we're wrapping up, teach us uh, what what do you as a father try to sit down and teach your son, your daughter, as as they're going through, and you're and you're sitting with them watching the media. What what do you try to hold out as? Here's the lesson. Well, it's really all about asking the questions. I mean, I have loved talking about movies. I don't know when I. That struck me. It's just the old college, like, late-night bull sessions. Hey, how about that movie? How about yeah. that? What about that? So as I was learning, you know, recently I've learned from really great critics like Anita Sarkeesian and Peggy Orenstein, some, some people who've helped ask, show me how to ask questions about movies, and I think that's the real trick. It's can you uh, model for your kids while you're watching, if you can watch with them, just ask some questions. Hey, why did he do that? Why did you? Why do you think... Um, they just said that to him. Why is she wearing that? <laughs> yeah. Where, why did she decide to kiss him right then? Do you think she really likes him? There's, it's age-appropriate ways of doing that and age-inappropriate ways of doing that. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, the habit of, of asking yourself questions, reminding your kids that somebody made these stories up uh, and they don't have to be that way. And are they like life and how are they not like life? And um, that goes for books. It goes for... Um, for movies, TV shows, um, and and that's just a habit of mine. We're not going to be able to screen out the movies that we don't like. Um, we could certainly bring in movies that we love and talk about why, but building the habit of of uh, digesting media critically, to, to put it in a fancy academic way, basically asking questions about the stuff that, that we take in, um, I well, think that's an important skill. Yeah. 
and finding out because that's by asking the question, you're finding out where they are. You're finding out where their thinking is and they get to kind of come up and, and tie everything together. You don't have to beat them over the head with it. Yeah. Well, sometimes you do. I've got, <laughs> you know, my little boy will occasionally uh, say, like, well, she's a girl. She can't do that. And I'll have to yeah. I'll have to go ahead and beat him over the head yeah. about that. Now we have a moment, a teaching moment. Well, uh, Colin, yeah, right. <laughs> let me just tell you you're wrong. About that. <laughs> let's fix that. Don't tell mom you said that. Um, let's. <laughs> uh, I appreciate your lesson on this and just the the depth and and the information. Really, keep up the good work. Keep uh, keep stretching our brains and um, and letting us know there's more. There's more our kids need to know than they're just the center of the world and. They need to get out there and have everyone serve them. Good stuff. Uh, Again, Colin Stokes. Go look at that TED Talk. Just if you look up Colin Stokes and TED Talk, uh, you'll find it. Excellent stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, go right to the Coach's Corner. Do a quick review, some more ideas, some more tools to help you connect with your kids right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Great interview with Colin Stokes as he was teaching us about media and the impact it has on us. Um, It's really powerful to think that, you know, I want to be Superman someday. What little boy hasn't wanted to have some superhero strength? Um, And, uh, you know, the fairies and the, the wonderful, you know, Cinderella. In fact, my son's. And my wife went to see Cinderella over the weekend and um, amazing that I, I, I was uh, up here working and didn't get to go with them. Called my wife. She's like, they really liked it. And I'm like, wow, I haven't seen it. But they did? Interesting. I thought they just want to shoot me up, kind of shoot them up, kill them movie. But when it comes down to our relationships, when it comes down to marriage – and when it comes down to families, there really are a lot of powerful lessons in a lot of different movies. And I couldn't agree more with Colin on the idea that we need to start talking. We need to start asking our kids more questions and letting our children you know, influence us. Let them tell us where their heads are and what's important to them. Also, the idea of eventually teaching and, and getting these people – and our children and our families to understand and value the abilities of all people, uh, women, men, every ethnicity, every religion, and, and to be able to start to tolerate that. And I, I think as parents, it's not something that we just have to teach them because I think naturally children are pretty open-minded to that. If you just listen to your children today and just find out what they're talking about they are much more um, socially literate than you probably are as a parent. And my children, for example, they don't – you can't use certain terms. There are certain words you do not use. There are certain ideas you cannot have. They have a radar on them of racism that uh, they, they can smell through a racist a mile away. Now, as parents, if, if you're not careful – you may be teaching them 
lessons that that run completely counter to what they're learning at, at in their schools. My um, I, I've been to certain family gatherings where somebody would say something at a family gathering that is just not, you know, appropriate. It's not mainstream. And my kids, when we get in the car, I may not have heard it, but when we get in the car, my kids will get, get right on that. Did you hear what he was saying? Dad, you don't say that about people. You don't call people that. So don't just assume your job is to go teach. Maybe you also could learn from your kids. This is a very open-minded group of kids and children. So pay attention to what they're teaching us. There are a lot of very, very valuable lessons that our kids know day in and day out that we don't even get. So yes, our job is to go influence our children. Don't get me wrong. And it is to be there to, to help them understand more and, and you know redirect some of their learning. But it's also to learn from them. So the idea of asking your children questions super valuable. Also find out what's in their mind. Find out what's on their, uh, you know, their radar, their agenda. What are they worried about? Another really interesting rule I use is watch their response. For example, we have a son that is running for a class office and we keep saying, look, you really want to involve other kids, get as many other kids as you can and have them help you hand out your stuff. And But he, this child is so opposed to it. And, um, you know, you just get so mad, like, just do what we're saying. We are adults. We know what we're talking about. But the funny thing about it is my son is also communicating. His opposition isn't just defiance always. A lot of times his opposition is his fear coming out. So when he doesn't want to go get other people involved or he's like, I don't know who to get – I don't know who to ask. Then you might, instead of just continually telling this child what to do, you might want to notice that he's trying to teach you something. He's confused. He's afraid. He's worried about something. Their lack of movement might be telling you that they have confusion. They don't understand what's going on. They don't know how to quite take your great, incredible wisdom and put it into their daily life. So instead of just pushing harder, you might want to to do something different. I always uh, try to equate it like when you're driving a car, right? And you're sitting in your car, your emergency brake is on. If you want to move the car, you could push gas, right? If you, But it's not going to necessarily move because the brake is on. I, mean, I guess if you want it to really move, you could just push more gas. Okay, sure. So now I can floor it and push more gas. And I guess that will move the car. Or I could remove the obstacle. If I'm noticing that there's opposition to what I'm saying, don't just keep pushing on the gas. You got to take the obstacle off. You got to take the brake off. And to take the brake off, you might need to listen to the child or the person and find out what they're teaching you. It's one of the most important skills we have in building a team, in collaborating. And uh, just that great example that he gave. Um, from Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy didn't just try to move everybody along. I mean, she did. She had a goal. She had to get to the Emerald City or whatever. She had to get there. She had to follow the yellow brick road, but she also had to remove the obstacles. And if one of them needed some oil, she had to figure that out and solve it. And she met the person's need along the way. 
The goal isn't just to meet someone's needs so you can get what you want. The goal is simply to care enough to meet people's needs. And then you might get your needs met. It's building a coalition. It's building a team. It's a very valuable lesson. And remember, your children are already more naturally probably prone to it. They always start out a little selfish. But once they start getting a little older and they get this identity and the sense of who they are, they understand the value of others. And trust me, parents, your kids understand better maybe than you do the power of diversity because your children probably even maybe more than you are experiencing, uh, they're growing up with more diversity. They're growing up with more parents who are divorced. They're growing up with more um, families that are different, that are of different type of you know building of, of in, um, involvement from certain parents. They understand a little bit better some of the LGBT issues than you ever do because their friend's mom is an LGBT. They understand stuff better maybe than we do. So instead, just teach them some skills, collaboration, teach them to be understanding, teach them to be open. Basic stuff, my friends. That's the Coach's Corner. Great uh, great being with you and a great show. We're learning a lot about being better people on this earth. We hope also we're helping you see the good in the world We'll take a break when we come back. A whole new hour, more interesting information to help you grow a healthier, happier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you through life, giving you the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life, living stronger, loving. It's the whole goal, right? We just want to be happy. Come on. Welcome to the program. We got a a great show for you, a lot to uh, learn about today. And, uh, you know, welcome to the journey. We we always like to just check in, make sure James is still engaged. James, uh, as of right now, you are still engaged? Yes. Are you talking about engaged in the show or engaged yes. to be married? In, engaged in the show, first of all. Okay. Yes, so engaged. You seem a little disengaged. Oh, did I? Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. You just need to fake it better. About your marriage, you're also still engaged to be married. And yes. what's the countdown? 17 days? Uh, it is 18 days still. 18 days, 7 hours, 12 minutes, and 36 seconds. It's almost the wedding of the millennium. Yes. 18 days, 7 hours, 12 minutes, and 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, everything's still going okay? Yeah, things are going fantastic. It's still so much to do, but yeah, we'll yeah. be sending out invitations like today or tomorrow. Today. So everybody out there in listener land should be getting one? Yes, hopefully. If we have your address, we'll send it to you. How many are you sending out? Um, well, uh, it's hard to say at this point. Because I haven't received mine yet. So. Well, we're sending them out today. Okay. So I'll get mine today. Maybe. Um, by the way, one eight hundred no one eight five five chat byu if you want to send us your um, your email address. Yeah, if you want an invitation. You can, you'll send out. Yeah, why not? Invites. It's great. By the way, waffles. What are we having? Um, donuts. Co- corn dogs. Donuts. Yes. Uh, garden hose. 
and from water beverage from a garden hose. Yep. It's going to be an extravaganza. Mm-hmm. And and you would like a blender. Yes. For the wedding. He still needs a blender, folks. Just so, blenders. Just. <laughs> That's all we want. Yeah. They make a lot of smoothies, these two. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you're still there. This is exciting. And uh, apparently Terry's going to be going. He's already got a babysitter. Well. You're not going to bring the baby. I'll have to extend the babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. I have a babysitter for earlier in the day, another appointment that I've made. Another and wedding. Then, no, just a, I have another previous engagement to attend to and then later in just the day. bring him. Bring the little kid. Should I bring him? Bring him. You know what? I'm bringing – I have six kids and a son-in-law, seven. We're bringing all of them. We're going to bring seven nah. of them. I don't so think, I don't think you will. there's nine the towns and family. I don't think you will. No, there's free donuts. Yeah, I don't think you will. There's free donuts and a chocolate fountain. This sounds like – this is a full commitment for two hours, right? You can come and go. Or is this a swing well, in, say, hey, how you doing? And You could swing in, but I'd really appreciate it if you were there for two hours. Let me tell you what we're doing. We're pulling in with the nine of us. Okay. We're going to go in, eat. Then we're going to all leave, go do some errands. Then we're going to come back, eat again, and say goodbye. Is there food or is it just sort of reception fare? Donuts. There's donuts. Okay. So this is a low-key chocolate event. fountain. This is the swing in gifts over there. Go say hi to the person you know, and they're having a slim gym to bar too. Did you hear about okay. that? Maybe slim we'll... gym bar. There's not. They're very rare. See the, the 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 receptions where you go in and there's like a program and a planned events, and it's no, not just no. say hi to people. No. When you, when you do that, you can bring if it's the the informal one. This is more like a you wake. Can, I can bring my my kid because he has about a twenty minute time limit, yeah, and then he's fine. done. That's yeah. Fine. Now. If they're, you know, if I got to be there longer, so maybe I don't need to get a sitter for the night. No, you don't. Maybe I just dress the kid up. Nothing better than a than a like a hyperactive kid. If you give him some donuts, take him to the chocolate fountain, let him just stick his and head in there. You could diagnose him, Matt. You could look at him and find out is he high sensitive? Yeah. Is he? You let's know, bring him. You uh, could we'll apply some, yeah. more labels and freak my wife out even let's, more. Let's give him some. Let's do some testing there. Nice. Because if you get him running around, yeah. That everybody loves that a little kid, just the yeah. cuteness of a little kid running around. I also kind of use him as my reason that I really can't be here and I get to go. That's why, again, <laughs> you, you come, you eat, you leave, you run errands, you come back, you eat again. It's right. like having a late lunch and an early dinner. Could be boom, boom. You get two meals for one, and, and I it's guess free. You wouldn't even have to say hi. Just kind of give me the head nod. You'll see me. Oh, you'll know I'm there because <laughs> well, I'm going to well, do a toast. You have an entourage. Well, it'd be. Do you need to talk to him? Because you'll see him when no. he comes back. He's I'll do here a toast. I'm just going to do a toast. I, right. I won't talk to him, but we'll do a toast and then a dance with his wife. You could try to publicly shame him somehow. No, no, no. no. Come on. No, I'm going to give him advice. You know some things embarrass him a little bit? I will. I, okay. mean, I won't mean to embarrass him. I'm just going to give him some advice right. to give you know them a shot. All so without yes. talking to me. Yeah. I will be there. I do okay. want to meet your parents, though, because they're paying for it. Well, her parents are paying for it. This is exciting. I haven't had a free meal for months. I really don't see that being the case at all. Can I bring Chipotle? Sure. Um, we're going to maybe go get some Chipotle. Can we just eat it there? Would that be all right? Yeah. You go there all the time, don't well, you? Well, ever since Hillary Clinton started going, I'm like, I got to start going It's more. apparently a thing. We, we went in California and my son got really sick, so we quit going as a family. Plus, they don't have Chipotle in Utah, do they? 
Yeah. Yeah, they, they do. do. Do they? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, they we do. Don't. We don't get out like that. So we'll bring some Chipotle, and then we'll do the toast. I'll do the dance with your wife. Uh, then I'm out of there. Then I'll be back just for a little nightcap. <laughs> From the garden hose. From the garden hose. The garden hose. Well, thanks for all of that. Uh, anything else going on in the news? The FBI is investigating allegations that prisoners were forced to engage in gladiator-style fights by the San Francisco County Sheriff's deputies. Oh, mercy. In their prison. Let's get ready to roll, kids. County Sheriff Ross Mirkum called the investigation a preemptive strike against any sort of illicit behavior, adding that he expects the probe to be completed within two weeks. Meanwhile, deputies who may have been involved have been placed on leave. So in the uh, the prison, they were... The prison guards were pitting inmates against each other and uh, having a gladiator-type situation. So that was investigated. Now the FBI is involved. So that's the story there. <laughs> thought that was interesting. We used to do that with interns and, and producers here. I, do you I, remember that? I tried to do it with some, you know, of the when my kid was like one, like yeah. baby yeah. fight club. Yeah, the fight club. The moms in the neighborhood just I really know. weren't into they it. They don't buy into the fight. It's crazy. Russia is trying to... I have so many Russia stories here. What's There's the a lot of news in Russia coming up. The uh, Russian authorities plan a national fast food chain to rival McDonald's. Oh, really? Russian authorities have pledged millions of dollars to help two entrepreneurs create a patriotic fast food chain to rival U.S. fast food. Cool. They're trying to... Anything connected to the United States and Russia has been vilified. Yeah. So they're trying to push it out. So you got fast food, and the problem is the stuff they're coming up with doesn't taste as good. Yeah. Because there's more of an infrastructure and that kind of thing with the U.S. fast food. So the chain will be called Let's Eat at Home. This probably sounds better in, in Russian. Yeah, yeah. It's lost in translation. Uh, they'll serve favorite like uh, borscht soup and uh, perushkis, which are like potato pancake filled yeah. with yeah. meat and other products. Uh, it's a stuffed pastry. But no details on the chain's menus have been made public yet. They're going to give the state's giving them $13 million. McRuskies. You think of how big Russia is, 13 million. Yeah. I mean, again. That many locations, but yeah. It seems like what they might, the people are probably shopping for something that doesn't taste Russian. Could be. That's why McDonald's might be doing well there. But our influence from our country is what they don't want. Right. Well, at least the government. Right. So, again, one more example of just giving the people what they don't want. Could be. Seems like the beginning of a revolution. Bringing it back home, the federal government has spent $5 million since 2011 on an anti-smoking program aimed primarily at hipsters. Okay. The program portrays smoking as neoconservative and encourages young adults to consider styling your sweet mustache <laughs> and listening to music no one else has heard of rather than lighting up. Huh. I guess the hipsters are an easy target. I don't know, but I found that funny. Styling your sweet mustache. Yeah. Like, Apparently that's in the marketing material that's put out. Hmm. I guess that assumes every hipster has a sweet mustache. There's a stereotype they're going for, I'm assuming. And then, Along with listening to- I feel to, bad for the hipster girls. Listening are to hipster girls? Listening to music no one has ever heard of. <laughs> oh, I've heard of him. That's yeah. that huh. type of person. That's so five million a year on anti-smoking. Okay. That's a target. Interesting. You know, there's a lot of problems in this world. Uh, I think so far we've been targeting a lot of the ones that maybe aren't a big deal. We're going to be talking about a real problem uh, after this break. Human trafficking, uh, is it 
Is it alive and well in the United States? You know, we always think it's something that's happening in some other country. But folks, it's alive and it's doing well here in the United States. We'll be talking to a, uh, a survivor, basically. Somebody who was human trafficked for 20 years or so. She's now uh, taking it on. And she's doing what she can in her world to make a difference. Lara Crossan will be joining us. She's joining us uh, from Rockstar Ministries right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back with her after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, let's talk about a very, very important issue. Lauren Crossan is joining us. And uh, Lauren was a human trafficking victim who was trafficked for over 20 years in the United States, folks. It's happening here in the United States. Did you know that the United States has more than 300,000 beds available for stray dogs? Yet there are less than 300 beds available for victims of human trafficking. We've got to learn more about it. And joining us today is Lauren Crossan. She's she's here to teach us. Um, she's uh, got a, a, a ministry called Rockstar Ministry. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping, serving human, human trafficking victims. She's here to teach us what we need to work on. Lauren, thanks for being here. Thank you, Matt. Nice to meet you. The most beautiful, flowing, colorful hair I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's it's great. wonderful to be here with you this morning. Talk to us about your story. I mean, it's 20 years you were trafficked. 20 years off and on. And explain what human trafficking is, because I think a lot of people don't get it. We don't know what it means. A, a lot of people don't. A lot of people think it's gridlock. A lot of people think it's drugs or bringing in people from old, over the border. What human trafficking is, is um, forced prostitution or sexual servitude, um, usually by a trafficker, which is someone who is a professional at um, trading human flesh for money mm. or for um, from pimps. And usually that's done by force and coercion. Uh, 13 is the average age to get pulled into human trafficking. Oh, man. Seven years is the average lifespan. And the number one cause of murder, Matt, is death. Seven years uh, is how long you'll be in, but then you'll be basically killed. Right. You have about seven years before you're killed. And, you know, people, I, I ask that question, what do you think the number one cause of death is? And you hear things like overdose or, yeah. you know, just strange things. Um, I can't give pimps any kind of props. I don't have any pimpathy, right. but <laughs> I can say that when uh, you're with a pimp, um, the majority of times that I've seen, um, there is no drug use. They're not okay with you. Uh, you give it having a thousand dollar quota yeah. and coming back and saying, "Oh, I gave five hundred dollars to the dope man." Right? It, it doesn't happen. Um, they take every single dime of your money, and you are given quotas every day. So, and then they're just keeping you in fear of your own life, your own health. They, they to keep are the power over you. They keep the power over you. It's definitely coercion. Um, they'll hurt your family. Uh, they they alienate you from your family so you don't see your family. You don't. They move you away from your family. They move you away from your family. You're on the road quite a bit. Um, I did something which was called the West Coast Circuit. So 
that was inclusive of San Diego, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Seattle, mm. Portland, and occasionally Utah. I was actually so had sad. a sting right here in Provo, Utah. Did you really? And, did. and so then all of a sudden, I, I'm assuming, do they just steal you from your family or do they just see that you're a vulnerable teen and they just – Take you. What do they do? Um, what What is going on now is a social media we have to be so careful of. Uh, these girls will put something on the Internet as simple as, I hate my mother, or my mother's the mm. worst. And these pimps will pick up on this. Um, pimps can smell vulnerability like it's blood in the water. Yeah. And so it's very easy. We have to be very careful with our teenagers. Um, I was actually coerced and pimped. I was in my 20s. Um, I don't come from a demographic that you would think that someone would be pimped from. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Newport Beach, California. My parents had doctorates. Um, I went to college. Wow. I married a ball player. Um, a lot of things happened, and I it, um, I ended up taking my son. I, you know, we got divorced. I took my son down to San Diego, and I got a modeling job for a cover of a San Diego magazine. Um, there, I met a man who was just charismatic. Um, everybody wanted to talk to him. He came in the room. He had a great vibration. Everyone wanted to be around this mm. guy. I dated him for a couple of months um, and found out, you know, later after he had, you know, helped me with my son and bought me a car and helped me to stabilize that he was a pimp and a porn oh, star. There we go. And, and and I was locked in. There was no turning back from there. After, the, after making the choice to be with this person, my choices very, very seldom were anything of my own. Yeah. But when we look at these teenagers and, and the average age of being 13, we have to look at things. If our young girls or young boys are coming home with um, iPods and Apple phones and red Stuff bottom they shoes, have. Yeah. right, Gucci bags, and you didn't buy it from them, we need to be asking questions. Pay attention to that. Is that – I mean I guess that's what we – so we hear of a teenager just disappearing. right. And you'll hear about it on the news, and they've just disappeared. It could very easily be that they were picked off by a human trafficker. Very easily, and and they're not they're not kidnapped. Yeah. They're not taken. They're not. They didn't just think, run away, even. Right. They didn't even just run away. They think that you know these guys. I, I'm trying to explain. I would like to set up something to where I can educate the law enforcement that um, even when. I got out of being pimped. My pimp had found me. I started Rockstar Ministries 15 months ago, mm. um, not knowing that I was a victim of human trafficking. I did not recognize it. I had not heard the language. Yeah. I had only heard the language of the pimps and the traffickers, that it was my choice, that I was good uh. at this, that this is what I was meant to do, that I was photogenic, yeah. that I was beautiful. And so I just knew my life really sucked. I just yeah. really hated you my life. Know. I didn't know. So I was like, well, whatever just happened happened to me these last 20 years. Let me start a foundation to help women get out. And it wasn't until about three weeks into it, another survivor called me and said, you weren't trafficked? I'm like, no, no, it was a choice. She said, well, did you have a pimp? Well, sure, I had a pimp. Yeah. Well, did he beat you? Did he take your money? Did you have any yeah. say in what you're... And well, no, I mean, of course he did. Of course he did. I didn't have it. She goes, you're a victim of human trafficking. And it's that's when the light bulb went on. And, started, and then, so you need... That's what you needed, right? Was, right. Because if you keep telling the other story, then you feel shame and like you're horrible. Right. And You've what choices did wrong. I make? How, how did I end up with a life like this? And, and it... 
these these victims don't recognize themselves mm-hmm. as this is your this is not your pimp this yeah, is right. your daddy or yeah, your my, boyfriend yeah. or your man this was my your man provider that's he, well this is the thing they they provide whatever it is you need from medical to you know on, on the street they treat you like a wife yeah um they they take care of you like you're a child um they're your lover but now they're you're your dependent. bodyguard yeah. and they're a lit fuse on a stick of dynamite it's yeah. Holy cow. And this is right here in River City. It's right here all across the country. It's in right. so you would say everywhere in the US it could easily exist or pass through. Um I think the statistics is if you can see a hotel or a motel from the freeway, there's trafficking going on in that motel. Oh my heavens. There is no small little corner of the United States that this is not going on. It's um evident by looking at Backpage, which is a computer site. Um Unfortunately, I was trying to do some statistics. Uh, I know that during um, Mormon conference here in Utah, yeah. it goes up about 300%. Does it really? It's like a Super Bowl event. Yeah. So well, people like are those brought big, in. Anywhere where there's a lot of people. Anywhere where there's a lot of people brought in. There's stuff going on. And, you know, unfortunately, I saw faces that could not have been over 10 or 11. Oh, man. And there were very, I mean, the headlines for the younger girls are, Daddy's Girl Wants to Play. I mean, things mm. that just, it should not be legal. It should not be on them. It is a... You know, it's a venue for human trafficking, yeah. and it's just absolutely disgusting. We've got to do something about this. And that's really what you're trying to do with Rockstar Ministries is provide, number one, a place where they can go. I mean, they they didn't – when you were here and you were trying to get out, there wasn't a bed where you could go. There wasn't anywhere you could go because, I guess, you were you were being trafficked. There, there wasn't – I was not um, allowed to go into the uh, domestic violence shelters. Um, I know I went everywhere I could possibly try to even like the county mental mm-hmm. facilities. And I was told the same answer that prostitutes never change. Well, I don't like the word prostitute. Yeah. I, the word well, prostituted woman or right, prostituted right. person yeah. is, is victim, trafficked, victim, trafficked. Exactly. Yeah. Don't use the word sex worker. This is not work. I did not get a 401k. Yeah. I did not get insurance. Um, you know, I, it, I was victimized. Yeah. We know that 98% of people in human trafficking want to leave immediately. Mm. So those people that are screaming sex worker are silencing the voices of the 98%. Yeah. And my thing is, if you're the 2% that is a sex worker, what type of oppression are you in that you would choose a career of exactly. that choice? Something's not Something's right. wrong. Yeah. It, something's definitely not okay and that, there. that's why you need a voice and you need help. Right. We, we cannot leave our women in the bottom of the barrel. Mm-mm. We cannot do that. We've, we've got to, you know, and it goes, it, it, it's, it's a social thing. It's not just a, a legal thing. We've got to look at the structure of oh, yeah. equal pay in America and women's rights. And it goes a long no, way, I but agree. we cannot sell our children and our women. It's not okay. And I also wanted to add that, you know, this, this goes into pornography. I was trafficked into hundreds of films. And every time you click that mouse, you're looking at a trafficked person. So that, yeah, they're not necessarily always these willing volunteers that a lot of them are compelled. You know, I remember telling them, you know, them telling me to turn my head so they couldn't see where my pimp had pulled out a grip of my hair, you know, and and to keep smiling, make it Uh, look, you know, this is, you know, make it, make it sellable, make it work. Yeah. So even if somebody's not out using prostitutes, they're, if they're looking at pornography, they're a part of the trafficking world. You, you are in creating one way a demand. Or another. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking with Lauren Crossan from Rockstar Ministries, uh, a survivor, a thriver, I would say, because she's turning this so much around and changing the lives of others. Um, we're going to take a break, come back, 
and get more information about how she was able to come out of it, how just one or two really strong people helped her get out, and then she was able to now start pulling three, four, five, six, seven at a time out. More with Lara Crossan right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. We are taking on uh, a topic. It's a hard topic because I, I think we just rather turn our heads and pretend like it doesn't happen. But human trafficking, folks, it's the real thing. It's out there. It's in every city. Uh, our guest today, uh, Lauren Crossan, is joining us from Rockstar Ministries. That's a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping, serving human trafficking victims. She, in fact, here in Salt Lake City, has put up a shelter. The first shelter for human, human trafficking victims, is that in Salt Lake City? It's not. It is in Utah County. Okay. Um, it is a safe house, so I'm not going to disclose yeah, the location. Good. But um, like you had said at the beginning of the show, that um, there is 300,000 beds for stray dogs in the United States. Um, there was 250 beds for um, victims of human trafficking. There is now 254. You got yours We opened in there. it Friday. We are thrilled. Um, Good job. Just, just so excited that it happened. Um, it was actually something God had asked me to do, and yeah. I told him, heck no, yeah. I'm too <laughs> busy too, yeah. for this. And six weeks later, we managed to get it open. The day that we opened it, it was Friday. We opened it at six o'clock, and we are full. We have got, wow. um, yeah, we have got three women and two children and one emergency bed. I'm actually sleeping on a couch, so we we've got it full. We've got people asking to come in from all over the United States. Amazing. So I'm really fortunate. And if it was all right with you, yeah. um, I have a number, which is yeah. a. Um, it's a national trafficking hotline for Rockstar Ministries. I'd like to give it out, and that phone is answered 365 days a year, 24-7, usually by me. And they can, and you'll help them know what to do, how to go about this. Right. We talk them through it. Um, I'm really fortunate to have so many supporters with Rockstar Ministries that pretty much anywhere you are in the United States, I can get a team to you within a couple of hours. Are you serious? Yeah. What's the number? The number is 254 254- Four two one one nine two one. Nine one two one. Four two one one nine two one, yes. Oh, one nine two one. Two five four four two one one nine two one. Yeah. And please, um, if you think someone's involved in human trafficking, um, if you are having problems with a teenager with that seems like she's under coercion or uh, the boyfriend's having too many, you know, control issues with her. Mm-hmm. If you know someone under pimp control, if you are under pimp control, please call me. We are there to help you and to help devise a plan. We, um, my program, uh, the Rockstar House, is more of a temporary, short-term shelter. Yeah. We don't have an actual program, but we um, know a lot of programs, yeah. and we will transfer you or you know send you out to where you need to be. You'll but- kind of allocate resources. You know where the resources are because right. of what you've been through, right? And you. You just want to do what you can. It sounds like to get them out of the stream. Get them out, and um, if we can, if, if this is something we we do have survivors there who um, I, I don't know if people are aware of this, but what happens during a prostitution arrest? Let's say you have a 13 year old girl, and you have a 55 year old man that comes to see her. She's put on back page. Um, 
um, once he pays her, first of all, she doesn't get a dime of that money. Okay, that mm-hmm. money immediately goes to the pimp. But once that money is exchanged, we overlook felony child rape. That 13-year-old gets a 99-year sex offender status, about a $4,000 fine and a month oh. in jail. So it's really hard. I myself am a sex offender um, I, in, in several states. So what we're trying to do, I've been working with Sean Reyes, the attorney yeah, general here, in, here Utah, in Utah, to have a vacature law so that when you're pulled out of trafficking, when you're done, you can go in and have those fines and those sex offender statuses lifted. Because oh, See, that it, has to happen. Otherwise, you're you're now burdened by your abuse. Right. And, you know, to be my age, to be in your 40s and not to be able to get a job at McDonald's is is frustrating. And this is what happens to 13-year-olds. If we just turned those laws around and gave those same, you know, punishments to the Johns and the Tricks, where where they would would probably stop, it it? would stop. Absolutely. That is the Nordic model. That's what we're aiming for in the United States. Um, If these Johns got a 99-year sex offender status, um, it, it, yeah, it would, it would, it would, change it would stop the demand. Absolutely. I mean, and that's simple legislation and it seems like, I mean, there's gotta be support, right? Because there's enough conservatives that you'd think would just want to stop that. Anyway. You know, you would think, but then again, when you look at the numbers on how and, high and, things are during conference yeah. and who's here, using, yeah, who's using when you're looking at, and I'm sorry to be stereotypical, but when you're looking at, um, upper class white men, things yeah. are hard to change. Well, they that's have been exactly right. hard to change throughout history. I don't think in my lifetime, the Nordic law will come into effect in the don't United States. So? Um, there is some laws that are starting on the East coast where the Johns and tricks will get five to 10 years in prison. And and that would make a huge difference. I mean, just test it, for heaven's sake. Somebody test it somewhere. Well, we, we, it has been tested. Has it, in, in, the in Sweden, not in the okay, United yeah. States. But it, it is almost eradicated completely prostitution in, in Sweden. So we know it works. We absolutely know it works. Talk about um, – because one of the things – we only have a couple more minutes. But one of the things I think is amazing, you must in a way have to relive your trauma every day in order to serve these other victims. What's that like? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I, I just go ahead. There, there's so much work to do. I'm actually, I, I look at my life now and I, I am a strong believer in God and a follower of Christ. And that's just my personal story. Uh, Rockstar Ministries, ministries means to serve. Yeah. It doesn't mean religion. It right. means to serve. Um, you don't have to believe in my sky God to, to get help from us. If yeah. you're under pimp control, we want to help you. Um, I, I spend my time focusing on what what's the next step. Um, will there be a rock star house too? Uh, mm. w- when will that law go through? Um, God always has something in store for me. He asks me all the time to yeah. do things. I always deny him and he always gets his way. So you just stay so, busy. <laughs> really? I, I, my life has completely changed from being trafficked and, you know, being forced to see 15 to 25 men a day to getting up early in the morning and seeing women that are safe and, and listening to the laughter of children in my house in the morning. And it, yeah. it's just, it's a blessing. It beautiful? It's beautiful. And two, I guess, uh, quickly, there was, there was just one person or two people that kind of pulled you out of the river. And I guess that's all it takes. It, that's all it takes is someone to understand. Um, I have a woman named Joan who, um, when no one else believed me, when no one else would help me, she took me under her wing. Um, she talks to me still every day. She is my light. She is um, my glory. She is everything to her. Her husband baptized me into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I am a different person, and oh, yeah. I, I owe it all to her. Well, and you are, but you're also changing lives. 
I mean, you're I am you're carrying lives. it on, right? You I, I am. I, I'm passing it on, and um, I kind of feel like you know this is my mentor. Joan is my yeah. mentor. Um, I see her with she has a foundation named Chainbreakers and does wonders for women involved in domestic violence. Yeah. And you know, it's just funny how God put her in my life, and here I am, a little prodigy, you know, so true. with the rock star ministries, Absolutely. which you know, human trafficking is very similar to domestic violence. It has a lot of the key elements yeah. that domestic violence has: the control issue, the abuse, the it just takes it a step further. And, you, and it does. people just kind of need resources. They need tools. They can go to your website, right? And that is um, rockstar with two R's, ministry.org. Yes, www.rockstarr.org. Okay, rockstar.org, rockstar ministries. I'm sorry, rockstarministries.org. Right, You're and, correct. And then the number, here's the number one more time. So if you know somebody that's being trafficked, if you know, uh, you know, if you, if you know of somebody that might need some help, 254-421-1921. 254-421-1921. They'll call. Someone will always answer. Mostly me. I, I answer this phone. This is actually my personal number. I give it out. Um, we pass out cards to the the tracks and the blades all over the United so States. Great. I go out and work the streets and talk to the women that are out there, and I give out my card. And I'm more than happy to answer this phone at 3 in the morning if I can help slide. Lauren Crossan, thanks for being you. That's amazing. You're an amazing you, story. Townsend. You're Appreciate doing it. coming on. Changing the world. All right. And taking a tough, tough life. And... Folks, changing it. That's the hero of the day right there, Lauren Crossan at uh, rockstarministries.org, 254-421-1921. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go see the guys at BYU Sports Nation up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, baby, to the Matt Townsend Show. This music can only mean one thing. Yeah, we're going to groove tonight. But first, let's go to BYU Sports Nation with two of the grooviest guys ever. Matt, you know what this song reminds me of? What? The movie The Water Boy. Because it's in it during a party scene. So every time I hear that, I think about Adam Sandler and The Water Boy. Nothing says party more than that song. Who was just singing the falsetto? That was Jerem. <laughs> I don't even know the words. That's all right. You got the falsetto down. You're nailing it. Mr. Coach Klein said I could play football. <laughs> hey, we like to do drama. Okay. We like to do dramatizations on the show. So that dramatization brought to you by BYU Sports Nation. You guys, yeah, you were you were running into the last minute, Spencer. I didn't think you were going to make it. Well, Studio C is painting a bunch of stuff in uh, Studio A right now, and yes. so I walked in and tried to like maneuver my way through that studio. And then after about thirty seconds, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> is that why you have a strip of paint on your shoulder? So I just walked back out and found another way into the studio here, <laughs> the back door. Hey guys, I, I found a news uh, article that I thought you guys need to know about. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Um, here's the deal. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it lighter today because you guys kind of got mad at each other yesterday. So. We didn't get mad at each other. Well, we did one-sided. We... Jeremy's just getting mad at me. I'm going to get mad now. <laughs> no, Here we go. New. Here we go. Stick to the task. Okay. So uh, we talked on our show that in about 70 years, 80, maybe 90 years, they, they believe that there will be uh, evidence, undeniable evidence, that there is life on other planets. Okay. okay, so here's the problem, guys, and I need your sports analysis on this. 
They believe, according to a University of Barcelona cosmologist, Barcelona, Barcelona cosmologist, a, a, a cosmologist, Doctor Fergus Simpson, not Sounds cosmetologist. That's fake. different. Okay. He argues that in a new paper that intelligent alien species will likely be about 661 pounds and they'll be about 8 foot 11. So he argues that – What is he basing this off? Well, he's a cosmologist. Okay. Not a cosmetologist. Otherwise, he'd be telling us the hair and the makeup they'd be wearing. Yes, That's someone else. He says though 8 foot 11 will be the average alien height with about 661 pounds under that height – I feel concerned about that because I think that will destroy the NBA. (laughs) What's this doctor's name again? Uh, Let me get back up to there. Uh, His name is Dr. Fergus Simpson. Okay. First of all, his name is Fergus. So (laughs) take that for what it is. Secondly, Uh, I think think Fergus has been munching on some fungi. They are not legal in the United States right now. Funyuns. But by the way, you might be right there because Dr. Seth Shostak, a senior astronomer at SETI Institute in California, he thinks that that's a that's an that argument is under um, great a baloney. Yeah, yeah, it might not quite be true. Listen, what we learned from Hollywood and the movie Interstellar. Shows no evidence of eight foot eleven beings. Okay. Why do why do these scientists never have a name that's believable? By the way, Fergus. It's always some uh, some well, it's unique last name. Well, it's because the name made it so no one would play with them, which is why they got into <laughs> all of these hypotheticals about what aliens. What shall I do? So you don't think that an eight foot eleven, six hundred and fifty pound like lineman is going to ruin the NFL or center would ruin the NBA? Well, I mean, well, we, we'll we had out. Andre the Giant and Yao Ming. So. We're going to find out with uh, pretty close with before Longy yeah, in uh, a year true. and ten months. BYU whatever. has a four hundred and ten pound lineman that's eighteen. Ugh. you know what? That's just so bad for your we're, knees. We're progressing that direction. <laughs> okay, see, I knew you guys would have some. Insight. BYU had a six foot seven female athlete that was amazing. No, I but mean, this is eight eleven. Yeah. I, but it's trending that way. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, at. that's true. I think the tallest man ever on earth was uh, Robert Wadlow in 19. He died in 1940. And let me see how tall he was. He, he was, was over eight, eight feet. He was also eight foot eleven, almost nine feet. Nine oh, wow. foot. Wow. Anyway, I just want you to think about that. I mean, I'm Big sure you guys are young. You might be alive when this all goes down. I just don't want it to be a surprise. I want it on your radar. I just want to live to the age of a tree and then be twinkled. Wow. Twinkled. That's all Jeremy's asking for. That's all I want. Actually, I don't want to live that long. Tree age and twinkling. Uh-huh. Well, if you stay a tree long enough, I'm sure a dog will twinkle you. And the age of a tree is 100. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, uh, what's, twinkle, go- twinkle. what's going on on your show today, guys? You're still doing your show today, right? Just yes. BYU basketball coach Dave Rose uh, began his annual roundabouts with uh, the media. He talked to a couple of local media members and revealed some some things yesterday about coaching vacancies mm. and the future schedule and what, you know, the return of Kyle Collinsworth, if he's going to go to the NBA, and what the future for Tyler holds, uh, Tyler Haas holds. Oh, by the way, Tyler Haas got engaged. Wow. Last night. She scored. So he's, well, he scored too. Is she wonderful? Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's cool. Is she going to be on the show? Uh, we have to have her on no, the show. She wants to be on the show. Let's have her on she, the she show. She told us you we need to have get me on the, show. on the show. She's a she's a gymnast. I mean, she's had some hip surgery, so she had to call it an early career. Oh. If, if we need some eye candy, we'll get Summer on the show. Well, but, no, I thought yeah. you were the eye candy, Jerem. Well, if Summer's on the show, I'm nothing. Well, except you do do an incredible falsetto. <laughs> 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 
And you do it on Never demand. Never in my life would it be like, dude, you're going to sing Earth, Wind, and Fire on BYU Radio at some point. Like, what? By the way, you just made our ratings spike right there. In well, the, in spike, the spike down or spike up? I don't know. So, somebody, somebody's in New York City right now on Sirius XM 143 going, what the heck is this What show? are they doing? What? They're doing falsetto. Well, that's a good show, guys. Yeah, we're looking we forward to it. If it's not, then if not, whatever. Too we'll, bad we'll for go, you. We'll go at it tomorrow. That's yeah. right. Hey, maybe one thing: just watch out for the aliens. And uh, if you want to become a cosmologist, you can get a license online. Perfect. Say what up to Fergus for me, okay? <laughs> I'll, 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 send, I'll send him down. Will you guys autograph something for Fergus? <laughs> Absolutely. You're the we'll best. Give him some blue goggles. Maybe that'll help his alien. <laughs> That's exactly. Assessment. Yeah, we need the flashy blue goggles you've got down there. <laughs> Okay, boys. Have a great show. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Take Man. care. Hasta la vista. Good stuff. I'm pretty sure these aliens are coming, though. Eight foot 11. That's a big alien. I mean, how do you stop an alien that is 650 pounds? You know? I bet you just throw salt on them. Yeah. They're that, like a slug. Okay. You think? Maybe. Or just sneeze on them. That worked Ooh, in War of the Worlds. Idea. Or a big magnifying glass. Oh yeah, and you just you just direct the sunlight onto them, and you burn them. Just saying, we're giving you solutions here on the show. One of the ideas, the goal of the show, is to give you the tools you need to take on this super alien race species. Yeah, but there's only going to be a few of them because they're so big they take up all the resources of their planets. That's what everyone thinks, but that's a lie. I read this story. I was going to share it with you, but it's really – I mean, you just sort of got the summary. Yeah. They, they get in, I read a story that got into the reasoning and the science behind yeah. it all. And you're like, oh. like ants versus humans. Yeah. There's more ants because the humans take so many resources. Right. So you're afraid there would only be a few of them. Yeah. But, but a few – Well, not really afraid. I'm just saying we could outnumber them. Yeah. And they could do a lot of damage, but there's more of us, more resources that we have to yeah. inflict upon them. I don't but, know. like, think about it. Would you be afraid of the ants? No, but they're not 850 pounds and 8 feet tall or no, whatever. No, that's the... what I'm saying. You would be the giant. They're the ants. We, oh. We're not afraid of the ants. But all yeah. you know, they're building a laser right now ready to blow you up. I'm pretty sure they're not. Oh, you're so you're so will you're so naive. But they're excited for Ant Man that's coming out soon. So oh, don't go there. <laughs> Here he goes, Ant Man. You two spent all day yesterday looking at the Ant Man trailer. Okay, you know what? Don't do that. Why not? That's that's not grown up. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun. A lot of things you can do as a grown up aren't fun. There's it's, some things. That let me just are. Tell you, it's a more, better use of time to talk about potential aliens. Right. Than it is ant people. Hey, look at it this way. If there are aliens that large, yeah. then maybe it would be a good idea to have a giant robot suit, let's say like a Hulkbuster suit, to take them on. This is true. Is that part of your ant world? No, it's a different movie. But I guess technically they're all part of the same world. Universe, yeah. Mm. Is that at Geekapalooza? Geekapalooza? Could be. How come I've never gotten into any of that stuff? Was I? I guess I'm just too normal. Deprived, I think. Actually, yeah. deprived. Yeah, deprived. You can. They're they're readily available to anyone you know who would like to. Uh, my my partake. parents used to talk to me. We'd spend a lot okay. of time. Well, part I, of mine. I was parented. 
part of my situation is I wasn't really exposed to much of this until later. See, because your mom, I know she's a big listener of the show. Your dad, they listen to the show. So they're probably surprised that you've turned into this much of a... Not really. Aren't they? No. I worry about your boy. He'll be fine. <laughs> he has he has his uh, his lightsabers that are actually pool noodles. We... Oh, I love... We, we fight with those, yeah, those constantly. That's yeah. a good fight. A pool noodle fight is one of the greatest fights. He actually drops his, falls into the floor, covers his face, and he goes, hit me, Dad! And then I just <laughs> whack him with the pool noodles, and then we fight again. So, And then he makes me fall down so he can hit me with the pool noodles. It's just, you know, it's it's fun. Yeah. Fun had by all. Get to wrestle. We, we, again, our, our job here is to give you the ideas. We can't do everything for you, but we've just given you another idea, a parenting idea of the pool noodle fight. Yeah. Cover his face and then pound him with pool noodles. It doesn't hurt and he giggles. Mom's a little concerned. But... So some may not know what a pool noodle is. It's just a styrofoam stick, maybe six feet long. Yeah. Maybe... These are cut down to about three. Yeah. And then you just – you have fake sword yeah. fights and – Tons of fun. Then then when your three-year-old goes, let's, let's hit mom. I'm like, oh, well, hold on. Yeah. Hey, by and the then, way, our, our hero of the day was just in, Lauren Crossan. Absolutely. How do you – top that she was she was basically you know trafficked and 20 years couldn't get out beat up regularly intimidated scared had no resources nowhere to go when she would try to get out the city the government they weren't really well established enough to know what to do with her the mere fact she was human trafficked they didn't want to touch that that's too scary i guess i don't know we got to change our laws. So Lauren Crossan, uh, again, we we and she's she's riven, risen above that to help others in I mean, a similar situation. She's now pulled four out just in the last week. That's so cool. So anybody out there, we we all can make a difference in this world. We appreciate you listening to the show. Remember, we can't uh, we can't do everything for you, but we do want to give you the ideas, the solutions, the tools you need to create a healthier, happier life. Thanks for listening. Again, we'll be back tomorrow with. Uh, With the goal, again, of helping you uh, live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care, and we'll talk again tomorrow. 